Hello, everybody. Welcome back for another edition of Out of Bounds. As always, I'm your host, Spencer Brown. Joining me, we have Dalton Bishop. What's up? We also have Christian Ertz. What is up, y'all? A very exciting, fun-filled episode in store. And, you know, we haven't talked about this league in a while. We're going to start with the NBA before shifting to the NFL, which I know everyone wants to get to. But the NBA decided, you know, NFL's in their biggest part of the season. Let's make some news. And there's been two trades and two coach firings. We'll start first with the trades. Uh, Probably about a week ago. I mean, it's been a while since we've recorded just because of scheduling conflicts. But shortly after last episode came out, the Pacers and the Raptors agreed to a trade, uh, sending Pascal Siakam to the Pacers for Bruce Brown, Jordan Wara, and three first-round picks. And then also the Miami Heat, they acquired Terry Rozier from Charlotte, sending a 2027 first-round pick and Kyle Lowry, which I like both deals for, um, excuse me, all four teams really. Because um, Toronto, they're kind of selling at this point, trying to get some assets back for their players. Charlotte, near the bottom of the league, giving Terry a chance to go get a ring potentially with the Heat. Uh, the Pacers needed a big besides Miles Turner. They got Pascal Siakam. And Terry, he's been putting up, I'm not going to say empty stats necessarily in Charlotte, but he's been scoring a lot of points for a team that's been going nowhere for years. So I, I that, that of the two trades, I like the Terry Rozier one more, even though my disdain for the Heat is there, just because, you know, I loved him as a Celtics when he started his career there and obviously playing his college ball at Louisville. I got uh, up close too but i'm glad he's in a situation where he can he can uh you know show his skill set and miami is gonna make the playoffs in some way shape or fashion whether it's the eighth seed or the four seed wherever they finish they will be competitive in the postseason because they don't care about the regular season and given a guy like terry who can score at that take the load off some of the other guys on the team like jimmy butler ban out of bio tyler hero etc um that's I think it's a great fit there. And for Lowry, you know, he's kind of on the downside of his career and he gets to, you know, show out in Charlotte for I don't know how long he'll be there, if it's just to the trade deadline, the rest of the season, if they work on a buyout with him. Um, but that first round pick, it's years away, but still you had kinda of had to get get rid of something to get something there. Um, so that's my takeaways on those two trades. Dolan, your thoughts on both the uh, Siakam, the, the Indiana Pacers, and Terry Rozier, the Miami Heat deal? Well, uh, for Siakam, you know, the Pacers trade for a 20-point score is going to pay them dividends, I feel like, this season, especially when they get into the playoffs. I feel like they're the 60 right now. They could always get up to, you know, higher seeding or draw a good first-round matchup for them. They are one of the highest-scoring, if not the highest-scoring offense in the league, so – they can put up a lot of points even before the Siakam trade. Uh, so I feel like now their potential for putting the ball on the hoop is yeah, huge. I mean, it, it, it was already big before, and now it's even bigger now. Um, so I feel like there's no reason why they can't make some noise coming to the playoffs. You guys mentioned Turner um, and, uh, you know, just Tyrese Halliburton is coming into his own this year. He's balling out. Um my only question is, was there was their defense? Because they score a lot of points, give up a lot of points. Kind of reminds me of the Kings from last year. Um, I do think, though, Siakam 
with his size and length can provide positive results, especially at the forward spot because you have Turner at the center spot, that area, Tyrese Halliburton at the guard, and then, you know, Siakam right in the middle. So at at those three levels, uh, I feel like, you know, the Pacers are being set to to take on some of the better teams in the East and they can do so, uh, you know, going, you know, with their defensive matchups and however they want to do it, uh, playing positionless basketball. So I feel like this is a good trade for the Pacers and came out at the right time. You know, um, Siakam is though suspected he's going to make 38 million this season and he's said to be a free agent after the season as well. So should they extend them? We'll have to see, but for right now, it should be a good trade for them. As for the Raptors, I feel like this is just a rebuilding for them. They want to move on to the future with their young picks and loaded picks. And with the Terry Rozier trade, um, kind of mentioned already, um, Terry's having a really, really good season career high in terms of points. Um, he's got he's got really good statistics and really playing well. He was playing well for the Hornets. Uh, him and LaMelo Ball were kind of like the, the two guys. Of course, Brandon Miller just get drafted, so he's kind of coming into his own. I kind of give him another year or two before he really takes off. Um, but I feel like Terry Rozier trading to the Heat is pretty good for the Heat. You know, this is the guy who's 29, two years left on his contract. Twenty, He's actually getting paid less than Kyle Lowry was. And, you know, Terry Rozier's is $23.2 million this year. And, you know, I just feel like Rozier's coming to a point in his career where, like, he can, like, this is, it's time for him to get on that big stage. You know what I mean? And, you know, I feel like the Heat, they're going to find a way just to get in. You know, I feel like whether it's the play in or it's the top eight seeds, they're going to find a way to just get into the, into the, into the dance. And, you know, if they can do that, I feel like they have a really good shot. Terry Rozier is playing really well this year, um, shooting a respectable and very efficient three-point and two-point percentage. Uh, and, you know, I think him at the guard, Jimmy Butler, um, uh, Triple J is playing well as well. Uh, can't forget about Bam. But, you know, this this Heat team could be really, really good. And, and of course, you can't count out Spo as a coach. Um, so defensively, they're going to be really, really nice. And so I feel like this was really, really good for them. The Hornets, I mean, what can you say? I mean, this is just a franchise that I talked about preseason was just completely words can't describe how bad they are. I mean, they're, they're bottom five in the league in terms of record their best players, LaMelo Ball that we have to kind of, they have currently, of course, Brandon Miller is going to be there, but I wouldn't be surprised if they traded LaMelo Ball in a year away, a year or two from now or he leaves him for agency brandon miller as well you know that charlotte just finds a way to just you know whether it's gordon hayward or you know some other players from the past that's not coming to my head at the moment they they just feel like a charity organization okay they're just giving away things you know allowing other things to prosper in other areas and that's kind of what it is here you know this is kind of not shocking for charlotte and i could totally expect kyle lowry to you know, get traded before the trade deadline. And I don't, I don't think he's going to be there for the rest of his career. He's kind of on the older side. I think he'll go to another containing team and, you know, we'll kind of see how that goes with them. But those are kind of my thoughts for these two trades. All right. Christian, your thoughts on the two biggest NBA trades of last week? Yeah. So with Pascal Siakam, uh, I think it's a great move for Indiana. They really want to push for – uh, you know, getting some bigs with Miles Turner. And I think with Pascal is going to be, you know, he's going to be that help that they need. 
Uh, and in the four games he has been playing, he's been pretty good. 19 points average and eight rebounds. He has done a fair, decent job, you know, learning the Indiana system. Uh, and Indiana, you know, they could surprise some teams later on down the line. Right now they're number six seed in front of my Miami Heat. Um, and I think Indiana, you know, it's kind of weird. You know, Halliburton is coming on his own. And, you know, Miles Turner and Pascal are, are established uh, very good players. I don't know if I want to say stars yet, but, you know, they're very good players, and this team has a lot of good youth on it. So I think Indiana, for the long run of this year, next year, that could be good with another piece or two, could really make them an actual threat out in the East with Milwaukee, Boston, and Philadelphia. Uh, so I think the Pascal Siakam trade was very good. And for Toronto, you know, they knew they had to trade their guys. I know OG is, uh, uh, I'm not going to pronounce his last name, but OG is, you know, you know, around in the trade uh, parts right now in the trade market. So who knows if he's going to also be dealt uh, somewhere in the future. So Toronto, they just want to get some picks. They want to, you know, really, you know, kind of restart uh, Toronto's uh, emergence in, into the NBA and try to maybe get something going uh, for the future of the Raptors. And for my Miami Heat, we got Terry Rozier. Uh, we got Scary Terry. And when I saw it, you know, training the way Kyle Lowry, I'm like, okay, it's an upgrade. You know, even though Kyle Lowry, you know, NBA champion, he is going to be um, remembered in Toronto for a long time. When he came to Miami, I was very kind of worried. Because it's not the same Lowry that we saw in Toronto when he was with DeMar and with uh, Kawhi Leonard. It's not the same guy, so it's kind of, you know, kind of a hard pill to swallow, kind of a bitter pill. But, you know, I took Lowry in. I took him in. Miami took him in. Uh, And when Miami, you know, traded him away for Terry Rozier, I was excited. You know, Rozier was kind of the second main man in – Charlotte with Lamelo, and now that he's over here in the games he's been in, he's you know kind of a little rough pattern right now. Uh, Miami has lost uh, five in a row right now, four and six in our last ten. Uh, it's not a great stretch for right now, uh, barely in the play-in, uh, the number seven seed. But you know, for Charlotte, they're also in that tight situation where they're not fully restarting because Lamelo's still there. But it's like eventually there's going to be that conversation of do we trade away our best player and restart it all again, especially with Michael Jordan now, you know, stepping back from full ownership of the Charlotte Hornets. So it's quite interesting what's going on in Charlotte. But for Miami, I think Terry, once he gets into rhythm, he'll help Miami, uh, which we're in a defensive just struggle. We're just not great defensively. Um you know, we'll get it going, and hopefully Miami could make some noise in the playoffs this year. Oh, I'm, I'm sure you guys will. You guys find a way all the time. Uh, another team that, you know, has had some posts and struggles, at least last year, even though they won a championship a while back, the Milwaukee Bucks made a um, somewhat shocking move earlier this week when they announced they were firing head coach Adrian Griffin, uh, who was in his first year with the Milwaukee Bucks. But, like, if you, if you follow the NBA, like, I follow a lot. And, like, I've seen what Milwaukee's doing. Like, yeah, if you look on the surface, the record was 30-13. and 13, 
You know, he's a little over halfway through his first season. They were second Eastern Conference. Man, it just always felt off all season with Milwaukee. The defense took a step back. Um, you know, in the offseason, they hired Terry Stotts to be an assistant coach, who was the Portland Trailblazers coach for all those years when Damian Lillard was in Portland. He quits before the season starts over whatever. They either disagreement with uh, Adrian Griffin and whatever uh, that happened. And there was a moment, I think it was late December, when they're playing the Celtics and Adrian Griffin's taking Giannis out of the game and Giannis kind of shoves him, shoves it off. He gets taken out for a play and then Giannis goes back to the scores table and checks himself in the next possession, the next dead ball. Uh, he lost the locker room. Again, it it sucks that this happened to him because he, you know, waited his time, got finally got a head coaching job. And it, it screams very similar, if people remember, to Cleveland when they had David Blatt. Now, Blatt was in year two, sure. But he was fired when the team was still first place in the Eastern Conference. And it, the notion is, you know, this team's winning despite of the head coach, not because of the head coach, which I think is a very true to a lot of situations in the NBA. Because uh, it's a player, more so than other leagues, player-driven. And you get two or three-star players that can kind of carry you to the championship, uh, which we kind of see with the guy they hired, Doc Rivers, who he's kind of been struggling lately. But, you know, his when he had, you know, the big three in Boston in 08, they won a title. But since then, it's been really – they haven't been to the sec, out of the second round. Doc has of himself. This is now his uh, fifth or sixth team. He coached, yeah, the Magic. Celtics, the Clippers, the Sixers, and now the Bucks. This is his fifth team, and he seems to not stay in the NBA for long. But he can't get to the conference finals. Has not been since 2011 was the last conference finals appearance for Doc Rivers. And I don't know how much of like he's an upgrade, sure, for Milwaukee. But I don't know how much of an upgrade it is in the coaching realm. Obviously, he has a lot of experience. But come postseason time. It's going to have to be Giannis and Dame stepping up, which we always kind of thought was the case. Um, anyway, but um, yeah, Milwaukee, kind of a shocking uh, move, but not really because that's an Adrian Griffin kind of lost the locker room. And you just can't proceed with the guy who doesn't have to support the locker room. Even when they are winning, it, it's just miserable. And I think again, at this point, I don't know why they fired Boonehoser at this point. If it was going to be, this cycle, because Bud was a good coach. They were first in the league last year, and they just blamed out the playoffs. And you can blame X's and O's. So they just can't seem to get the higher right. I think Doc's, like I said, an upgrade, but how long is he going to be in charge? I think they'll give him at least to the end of this year. He'll at least get next year. Um, but how patient are they going to be? Because the window that people like talk about, the championship window, it's not much, it's not going to be open forever. Uh, but Dolan, your thoughts on Milwaukee? deciding to move on from Adrian Griffin and go out and get Doc Rivers as head coach. I'm not going to try to get too much into this. Uh, I just, you know, Doc Rivers, 24 season is, is a uh, head coach for the NBA. I feel like, you know, he's got a good enough resume where it's, you know, this hire should not be shocking, but also Griffin's won 30 games and had his team top five in the Eastern conference, which is arguably, you know, we can make the debate about which conference is more is, is tougher, but typically the East is 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 pretty good, pretty pretty freaking good. Um, is course is hard to win games in the NBA. It's a skills league, coaching matters, yada yada yada. But you know, I I do think like if you're going to hire a guy and you think like, hey, this guy is going to be the successor, 
you know, you should probably like make sure that he can, you know, get your team to that next level. You know, Mike had his teams top one, two in the East throughout, throughout the entire season. And I, I get it. The You know, Griffin's defense, not very great, you know, bottom of the league, close to it, meh, you know, ranked him at like 21st or whatever, which is, you know, way, way, way down from where they were last season at top five. Um, but, you know, it's, it, you, 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 you should have, or I guess just might as well have just hired Doc Rivers to be the successor to Budenhauser because Doc didn't even have a job before the, but during the season, okay? He just came from the booth, okay? He came from the media, okay? He's coming in here and going to try to revitalize this defense that has played awful, yet won 13 games, or excuse me, won 30 games, lost 13 you know, I I think, you know, Doc of course has had that where like his his teams have always been very good defensively. You go back to the Philly Boston days, like Philly even last year was top ten in the in uh, their uh, defensive ratings. Uh, again, it's like you could still keep Griffin on the staff, but you know, don't make that transition to a guy who's never been a head coach before if you don't know what he's what his plan is or what he's going to do or how it's going to work out. And I get it. Hindsight's 2020, but I mean, still like doc rivers has been proved like he's proven he's done it year in and year out. And, you know, most people thought that Philly and Milwaukee were pretty good in terms of roster talent and they could go toe to toe in the Eastern conference this year. No offense to Spencer Celtics, even though I picked them to win the title preseason. You know, I still think that's kind of what, that's my whole hook. That's my whole hiccup with this is like, you know, why waste your time with this? The man is, you know, McGriffin's gotten fired over his deficiencies as a defensive head coach, and yet, you know, we're just hiring a guy who's got a much better, much more impressive resume, yet, you know, he has coached a lot longer than Griffin has in terms of the head coaching spot. You know, I just think you could have just avoided that by just hiring Rivers, keeping Griffin on the staff, and he probably would have been in the same spot if, not better. It's just kind of depending on how everything shakes out. Uh, but I, I, I do think that Doc Rivers is going to get this team back on track in terms of defensively. Because I feel like they could be so much better, especially with the length that they have uh, with Lopez and Giannis and all those guys. Dame, you know, this is, you know, the offense was never a problem. Of course, we all knew that. All right, Christian, your thoughts on the Portland, not Portland, Milwaukee Bucks firing Adrian Griffin and getting. So, um, I first off thought it was very, uh, like, first world country problem where the Milwaukee Bucks are the second best team in the NBA, in the uh, Eastern Conference right behind Boston, who's been on fire this season. And they they fire their coach, and, you know, in the midst of that. And they're like, okay, we're just going to take a guy who's, you know, been an entertainer. Like, it's seriously, it's seriously like the Kansas City Chiefs. Let's say Kansas City goes 10-2, and two, right? And those two losses are the two worst teams in the NFL. They lose to the Carolina Panthers, and they lose to – uh, the Washington Commanders. And then they decided, Andy Reid, he's just not good enough, man. You, you're not getting the job done. The players don't like you anymore. We're just going to hire Jeff Saturday. 
We're just going to hire Jeff Saturday. We're going to hire Dan Orlovsky. We're going to get Ryan Clark. Let's just get Stephen A. Smith. Why not, you know, just off the bench like that? Like, why in the heck does the Milwaukee Bucks, why do they have to fire their coach, who's doing a good job, but because some players disagree with them, and now what we have seen is that, you know, yes, the players are the ones who should have most of the control, but there's a reason there's a player and a coach, right? And if the players are going to be the ones involved in those coaching decisions, why weren't they in, like Dahl mentioned, the front office talking with them saying, this is a guy we want as a head coach. Let's, you know, Giannis was there for a while, right? Damian Lillard didn't come in until a little bit later. So it's like, okay, Giannis, Andre Kumpo, who do you want us to choose? You sit in the interviews with us. You make the final decision if you want. And for the Bucks to fire Adrian, to go after Doc, and for the Bucks doing like celebration, like Adrian Griffin was like the worst, like worst coach I could ever like step in Milwaukee. Like they were dancing and her fire pyro and all this stuff. I I was really just dumbfounded, honestly. And I'm kind of wanting Milwaukee to kind of fall in their face a little bit. Like I love Damian Lillard. I wanted him in Miami. I love Giannis Antetokounmpo. He's multiple-time MVP and NBA champion. Deserves it. And I, I don't know. I think it was very just inappropriate, honestly, to, you know, do all those stuff, all the fiasco stuff. And, you know, after firing Adrian Griffin because, you know, some of the players just didn't see, you know, eye-to-eye with Adrian, even though they were succeeding at a very high level. If this was – you know, if they were seven, eight, nine seed, I, I would agree. And I think, like, okay, maybe this move can help them up. Doc Rivers, personally, hasn't been super relevant since the late 2000s. Yes, he was part of the Clippers team in the, you know, in the big three with DeAndre, DeAndre Jordan, Blake Griffin, and Chris Paul. But he really hasn't made any noise. Like, he's a good regular season coach. Then he gets to the playoffs. It's like what the heck's a basketball, and we have no idea what's going on with Doc and his team. So, for Milwaukee, uh, you know, it's their decision, right? They think it's best for their team. You know, I'm for that. But I decided it was – I thought it was a dumb move, personally. Um, and for the circumstance it was, I think it was the worst move that they could have done. But we shall see what happens later on. Um uh, I'm not going to say, like, oh, I want Milwaukee to lose out. But would I be shocked if Milwaukee loses in the second round? Absolutely not. Yeah, that again, that move has definitely sent shockwaves through the NBA. The other head coach firing kind of came as expected. So much so that actually uh, – so in our preseason pick, we'd choose who we think the first coach fired would be. And by one day – Christian, I miss having it right with Wes Unsell Jr. as the first coach fired because they just had to jump the gun and fire Adrian Griffin. But Wes Unsell Jr. had uh, just watched him was going to be terrible this year anyway. Like, it's, it's the complete opposite of Milwaukee where you have high expectations and you're not necessarily meeting them, so you fire him. This team, the roster was terrible. The expectations were low. But having seven wins at this point of the year, 
it, it warrants being fired. He's in year three now with the Wizards. Both of his first two years were 35 and 47. This year, on a far worse pace uh, than those two years. I got that move. I hate that it happened that way. What was head-scratching was they decide, hey, we're going to move you to the front office as an advisor, which, I mean, I guess he can maybe advise when he's not coaching on the court. It just uh, – and I guess it's maybe a temporary thing just for this season. It, it, it just screamed weird, that kind of promotion – uh, if you will, to the front office. But from on-court co- on coaching, uh, it just unfortunately has not gone his way so far and that it makes sense why they would fire him at this stage of the season. Uh, I'll go, Dahl, next. Your thoughts seeing Wes Unsell Jr. fired by the Wizards? Um. Well, you know, again, it's like one of those things with these hires, like, I just, or these firings, you know, you just got to do a little bit of a Deeper dive, you know, the roster isn't exactly the best and not performing the best right now. I, you know, it's safe to say that people were probably making that West wasn't meeting the standards. It was kicked. So it's kind of, you know, they, they thought that, you know, we could do better with somebody else. Um, so they felt like they had just cause to fire him, despite the talent on the roster is, should I say, quite youthful. And I mean, they're, it, Kuzma pool, I mean, those guys have been around for a while. You know, it's it's not contending with the playoff teams. And I'm not sure if Washington wants to get to the playoffs, but they haven't shown that they want to get there. You know, they, they it's, it's, typically we have these teams who like trade for take take the take your all's favorite teams, okay? Take the Heat and the Celtics, for example. Two teams that were in the playoffs last year, and you know what they're making? They're they're doing they're making trades before the trade deadline. They're trading for guys that can get them over the that can get them into back into the playoffs, if not even further once they get in there. Right? Wizards aren't even doing that. Wizards don't even know whether they want to get in the playoffs or the tank bowl. Okay, they don't. They, they you know like they want to they want to contend for the first overall pick in the lottery every year. It seems like okay, they're just not. They've had a couple of trades over the years where you're like ah oh, Russell Westbrook ah oh, you know Paul Pierce you know just. Kind of just, eh, just they they come and then they leave. You know, it's like a revolving door of stars and you know misfits that don't really apply to the Wizards' culture. They just don't know what they're doing. Okay, they just don't know what they're doing, and that might be a little bit harsh. But I just think the Wizards haven't been good in a while. Okay, they're they're a bad team currently, and I, I you know I think do I think that it's fair that they just fired a guy who's in his third year, mind you, but also the Wizards executives haven't made an apparent that they want to make a game-changing move, a franchise-changing move to get into the playoffs? No, okay? I don't believe that it's fair for them. Do I think the Wizards are doing this because they want to change it up and see, you know, if they can hire somebody from within? This guy named Brian Keefe can make a masterpiece out of a you-know-what situation, a roster? Yes, I do. I do think that. I You know, do I think that Wes Unsell was doing absolutely the best that he could? Uh, and he probably should have finished the year. Absolutely, hundred percent. Okay, I think with this kind of roster and this situation, you got to let the guy finish the year. Just let him finish the year. Okay, and, you know, I think this is a team effort. Okay, this is an organization, a team effort. GM, coach, whole nine yards. The front office. Everybody has to be on the same page. And if you guys want to keep rebuilding for the next ten years, then by all means, go for it. Okay, if you want to keep doing that, that is perfectly okay then you can do that with your loser organization. But for these other ball clubs that are making trades and doing all this other stuff that is required to get into the playoffs or get as far as they can get into the playoffs to get a championship, then, you know, the Wizards should probably be taking notes for that. 
that you know they really should they should probably be taking notes about you know seeing what the Celtics are doing what the Heat are doing with you know the Bucks Philly the Bucks just fired their head coach after a 30 and 13 record and you know Wizards are over here firing their head coach because the man's got eight wins but he's got but you know he's working with who knows okay you know he's working with Jordan Poole, who was the sixth man on a championship roster, as and he's the guy that's the starter. And then he's working with uh, Kyle Kuzma, who is the third or fourth man on a Lakers roster, led by LeBron James. So when you're working with those two pieces and that's about all you got, then how are you supposed to, to, to succeed with that? Honestly, how are you supposed to succeed with that when, when it's a star-driven league? And if you look from top to bottom in the eight to ten spots in each single conference, these guys are stars. Halliburton, star. Uh, Shay Gilgis Alexander, star. Tatum, star. Butler, star. I mean, you're Joel and B just dropped seventy the other night, star. Okay, these 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 teams have stars up and down their roster, and these are the teams that are competing for championships. And you expect the Wizards to be up there? I don't think so. I don't think so. But you know, go ahead and fire the guy, and we'll get Brian Keeping here, and he'll be doing. Just about a good bang-up job as Wes Unseld has, if not worse, okay? That's kind of just how it is when you're dealing with absolutely nothing, and you have to go against these teams that are basically juggernauts compared to your lousy roster. All right. Christian, your thoughts on the uh, the Wes Unseld Jr. firing in Washington? Uh, You know, like Spencer kind of alluded to, uh, me and Spencer, we both had this – uh, pick. We both thought that West was going to be the first head coach fired. I mean, if the Milwaukee Bucks weren't the worst team at the number two position in the NBA history, I guess, then, you know, we would have gotten this right yet again because I was right earlier this year in the NFL. Like, this is wild to me that Washington was like this early, right? Because, I mean, they're not even at the all-star break yet, and they get into uh, firing mode, which, I mean, again, it's kind of, you know, head-scratching, but I understand it. Like, Washington is, like, they're, 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 it's the funniest thing. is because they're only better than Detroit. And, like, Detroit's awful. Detroit fans are, like, one of the weirdest fans in the world because we're going to talk about their NFL team later on. But their basketball team is an absolute dumpster fire. And the baseball team is mediocre at best. So it is a wild time. And I don't even watch NHL. So I can't even tell you, like, how the Red Wings are doing. And, like, from, like, what they usually are to 25 and 18. But, like, I don't know if that's good, bad, what uh, for Detroit. So they're just in kind of this weird uh, phase in Detroit right now. But for Washington to only be better – then the absolute dumpster fire of Detroit is, you know, it's not good for Washington. I remember when they had John Wall and Bradley Beal, and this team was a, you know, decent contender out in the East, and right now they're just kind of a shell of that. Uh, and like you, and like Dalton mentioned with Jordan Poole and Kyle Kuzma, fine players on, you know, higher-level teams, but they're not good enough to lead this team to get into 10 or even 15 wins. So – for Washington, they have to, you know, change the culture. They have to change uh, something going on. Uh, it is weird for them to put him in a front office position like Pete Carroll is with Seattle. But I guess they wanted to keep something with Wes into that role. But 
you know, for Washington, they wanted to change the move, and I think they're going to be uh, big sellers when the trade deadline comes up in a couple weeks. All right, thank you for that. So that concludes our NBA update, if you will, for this episode. Shifting gears, before we get to our divisional round recap, we do have coaching hires that have seemingly just come left and right day after day. We are just getting we are down to two vacancies at the moment. But let's just start with the hirings that have happened, including the biggest hire of the offseason, and that is Jim Harbaugh making his return to the NFL after nine years at his alma mater in Michigan, after finally climbing the mountaintop and leading Michigan to a championship. He returns to a team that he once played for. The back when they were in San Diego, the Chargers, now the Los Angeles Chargers. And this just seemed like the best fit possible for any of uh, the head coaching openings. Um, just given that he, even though he's from Ohio and went to Michigan, a lot of his success has been in the state of California on the West Coast, whether it be University of San Diego at Stanford with the 49ers. Uh, again, I know he has success at Michigan, but he loves the West Coast, it appears, the state of California. And now he's the head coach of the LA Chargers. And it's a team that you have the quarterback in place, which is a it's a huge upgrade. Uh, if you can enter a situation where the quarterback is known, you're in a good position there. The rest of the roster, it, it's fine. They got some good pieces. They are in cap hell, and they need to manage uh, and get under the cap and get some good player, other good players in there. But again, you can start with Justin Herbert. You can build a roster around him. Uh, Eckler's the guy that I like, and I hope that he sticks around there. Um, but Quinn Johnson, I know the rookie at TCU, he had a rough rookie year. Hopefully he can bounce back next year. Um, and, but again, Harbaugh, like, he was ousted in San Francisco, not because he was losing games. This is, he didn't get along with the ownership of the GM at the time, which uh, their GM at the time was Trent Baalke, the now Jaguars GM. But it's not for not being able to coach because he can coach football. He was almost winning a Super Bowl with the 49ers. And, again, the last couple years, he had been, you know, flirting with the NFL, whether two years ago on National Signing Day, which is a big day in college football. He's interviewed with the Minnesota Vikings for hours. Last year, him and the Broncos, they were in talks. They just couldn't come to terms. And, the you know, both teams have – you know, they've got their guy that has been good so far for each other. You know, Kevin O'Connell, Sean Payton. Uh, but the Chargers, great fit. Like, I can't stress enough. I, I've i been critical of Harbaugh, you know, at times, you know, a few years ago when Michigan, during the shortened COVID year, they were two and four. And it was like, okay, Harbaugh, you're not beating Ohio State. You know, you're getting nine, ten wins in normal years. But it's like, can you get to the next level at Michigan? Because I know Michigan, they have high standards of success. And now he's turned that robbery around. They feel Ohio State year in and year out now. And he's been to playoffs three times in a row and led Michigan to the championship. I think he sees it as there wasn't anything else I can need to do at Michigan. Like, I could go back to back. That'd be fun. But he wants to win a Super Bowl. And I don't know if San Diego or, excuse me, Los Angeles um, necessarily wins a Super Bowl in the near future just because they share a division with the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid for at least the time being, because I know there's some retirement rumors there. But they share a division with Patrick Mahomes, which I know makes it tough. But if you can get in the playoffs, I th- I would trust Harbaugh in a lot of matchups 
uh, in the playoffs. So, uh, I just think of the offseason, this might be the best hire we've seen so far. Uh, Dawn, your thoughts on the Chargers going out and naming Jim Harbaugh their new coach? Yeah, dude, I, I, I think this one, this is, this is terrific for, for him. I feel like this is, uh, I, I'm, I'm really actually, especially happy he didn't go to the NFC West because that would have been awful. But you know, great for him going to, going to SoCal. Um, you know, of course. You already mentioned Justin Herbert's already there. This 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 uh, coaching deal is what a five years. I think I think that's what they said. And you know, I feel like this is going to work. Like this is going to be exciting for the Chargers. I think I think, dude, if you're a Chargers fan, you're feeling really really good about this hire. And you know, Jim's going to try to get right. I mean, he is going to get this ship right. And uh, you know, I think I feel like next year is going to be a really exciting year for the Chargers. Um, and you know, they've got great potential as long as they've got a very good off season. And, you know, I, I full faith, I have complete faith in Jim Harbaugh to, you know, get the chargers, get the chargers back. And, you know, we'll have to see They of course, we've said that they've had loaded rosters for the past few years and there's just been some under uh, underwhelming performances in terms of their, how their seasons have gone despite the roster. But I do think that, you know, this hire is going to make a huge difference. And um, yeah, this is, this is great. I think, I think, you know, as long as they can get a GM who's not like Trent Baalke in the terms of them not being on the same page, I feel like, you know, as long as Jim and the GM are together and kind of just working together on things that this could be a huge sex, huge, huge success. All right, Christian, your thoughts on Jim Harwell making his return to the NFL with the chargers. So I think it's a good move. Um, I think this move was pretty uh, set in stone. Maybe not the Chargers exactly, but the NFL, Harbaugh come back to the NFL when J.J. McCarthy went into the NFL draft. Um, you know, I, I think J.J. is a fine quarterback. I don't think he's one of the best, uh, especially in this class. I think if he stayed another year uh, with Harbaugh or with Sharon Moore, who became uh, the head coach after uh, Jim Harbaugh decided to leave, I think J.J. would probably be one or two uh, at quarterback position going into next year. So, you know, with Jim Harbaugh going over there, um, I think it's, you know, a pretty good job. Uh, I absolutely love that roster. I think he can make L.A. very uh, competitive in the AFC West. And honestly, like if he was here a year prior – I mean, they could honestly take the AFC West from this Chiefs team. So this Chiefs team, you know, looks like a dynasty, but, you know, they have, I think, a much better roster than Kansas City, the Chargers do. Um, I think at times quarterback play is, you know, maybe sometimes better with Justin Herbert, maybe. But, you know, with the Chargers now, with their franchise quarterback locked up, with, you know, good pass rushers with Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack, Derwin James at safety probably needs some better interior offensive line uh, or linebacking depth. You know, this Chargers team looks very good. Uh, They have the fifth overall pick. So we kind of talked about a joke, uh, how many Michigan players are going to get drafted by the LA Chargers. Uh, And I've said, you know, that Jim Harbaugh, of course, in the national championship, uh, you know, talking about it prior, uh, he said that JJ McCarthy, is the best quarterback that Michigan has ever had. Uh, yep, you heard that right. Uh, you know who also 
played in Michigan. I don't know if people actually remember this. Uh, but Tom Brady, you know, we consider like a GOAT. We consider one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play the game. Yeah, he's a, he's a I guess, a daggum bum to J.J. McCarthy. Or J.J. is going to be, you know, the GOAT in year two and win, you know, seven Super Bowls. Uh, excuse me, eight Super Bowls uh, in a year or two. So, who knows what's going to happen. He's going to go undefeated in Super Bowls. He's going to be MJ uh, in the NFL uh, conversation. But in all seriousness, I think it's a great move for Harbaugh. Uh, I think pick five, honestly, if it is going to be a Michigan player, you know, depending on how the injury is, Zach Zinter, like, I, I, you know, he's a guard for them. He got hurt. Uh, I think in the Alabama game, uh, he got hurt. And, you know, who knows if he is going to be – uh, you know, I, I forget the type of injury. I think it's ankle injury. But, you know, if he actually is pick at number five, that's a huge addition, in my opinion, to the L.A. Chargers. But L.A., I mean, I pick five. They can do a lot. They can trade back, obviously. Um, and, you know, if they want to draft J.J. McCarthy, by all means, go ahead. Um, but the Chargers have a lot of, you know, things to do. They're not a roster that should have the number five overall pick. So I think, you know, Harbaugh getting over there, depending on how free agency goes, you know, what they decide to do with that number five overall pick. The time in, you know, with Harbaugh as a Chargers head coach could be very successful very quickly. All right. Shifting over, uh, staying in the same division, it's shifting to their team, the Raiders. They have also decided to um, – they decided to promote their interim coach, Antonio Pierce, they're not going to make the same mistake twice that they had a couple of years ago when Rich Passaccia led the team. They led him to he led him to the playoffs that year. I'm like, let's do Josh McDaniels again. Let's make him another NFL head coach. Uh, and that you know went poorly, as a lot of people expected. I thought it'd be a lot better than the first time he ended up coaching less games. Uh, but for Antonio Pierce, like he was fine this season, five and four in his time as the interim head coach. Uh, but they did beat the Chiefs late in the year, and they put up 63 points on the Chargers that we just mentioned, which is why uh, they had a head coach in Vegas. It was that game there. Uh, so he had – and he had control of the locker room, and the players loved him. And I know we talked about, you know, with the Bucks, should you let the players make decisions, should you not? Uh, but the players played for him. And, again, like I said, they made the same mistake two years ago. They were not going to do that again. And – Again, they're in the same division as Mahomes. For the Braves, you know, you share the division with Justin Herbert. And, you know, Denver, whoever they get at quarterback, Sean Payne's won a Super Bowl. So, you're the most inexperienced coach in the division, which, again, that's not necessarily a bad thing. This is a fact right now. Um, but, again, you did beat the Chiefs, who are playing for a conference title this Sunday. A little spoiler there. Uh, but people probably knew that. Um, you have... You know, I think it'd be a fine hire. Again, I'm not expecting the Raiders to be in the playoffs next year or even in two years. But I think he's got control of the team, and I'm glad he's getting the opportunity to get a full season under his belt. You know, if he goes poorly, we'll be back to the drawing board again soon. But uh, just for the situation that they had in the Raiders, they are in Vegas. They could have gone for a splashy hire, but they have they like what they have in-house. And I, I don't fault them necessarily for that. I also would not have faulted them if they went out and got a big name head coach to take that job, but that's what they decided to do. And I support it a hundred percent. 
Dalton, your thoughts on the Antonio Pierce uh, promotion, really, for the Raiders' job? Yeah, dude, great promotion. You know, and I'm like, I'm not just saying that just to, you know, be that guy. Like, oh, like everything's great. Like everything, everything's awesome. You know, and I'm not just doing that just to say it. I do think that, you know, this we've get we're getting like this kind of new mentality that's coming into the lean like this guy used to be a linebacker right Patriots just hired a line a former a former linebacker Dan Campbell's kind of got that linebacker-ish mentality of course Brable Brable's a good coach as well so we're kind of getting like a different sort of head coach like it used to be like oh like you know like if you knew offense like all that jazz like dog like the offensive coaches would be sparkled in here but this is interesting a new a new wave of head coaches coming in and i feel like pierce is really a really really good hire for this organization you know it's you know they were telling us that you know like after he took over the defense only gave about 15 points per game which was you know first in the league and i think that's 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 crucial. You know, that says like, you know, even though this guy wasn't the full time position as head coach, you know, he was just, you know, the guy that was taken over for McDaniels after he got fired. He was able to really change the culture. You know, he was really to have the guy looking to have the guys believe in him and, you know, them working as a team. OK, working as a team, trying to win as a team. And I feel like Pierce is going to get this, going to get this team right. You know, much like what I said about Harbor, excuse me, Jim Harbaugh and the Chargers, you know, Jim basically like right in that ship. And I feel like Pierce could do the same thing for the Raiders here. You know, I feel like Vegas, you know, don't just don't screw it up. Okay. Just don't like, I feel like this is a really, really good chance for and we're gonna talk about um the Raiders hiring uh their GM little would spoiler a little bit later, but I feel like, you know, they you know, those two guys they gotta work hand in hand. Okay. They gotta really put this team back on the map. And uh, you know, the only thing that sucks or the only thing that stinks is that this division is loaded. Okay. This division is freaking loaded. Okay. The AFC West, Sean Pate with Denver, Jim Harbaugh with Chargers, and of course Andy Reid with the Chiefs. Um you know, it's going to be tough. You know, this division is combined for probably the toughest, should be the toughest by next year. Um, but I do think in terms of this hire, this organization, this is a really good piece. Now, you just got to, you know, make sure that we get everything right from now. Like, I'm not sure about the quarterback, but they do have very good pieces. You know, I feel like they could, they could make some noise just in the division. I, it's going to be, it's going to be a gauntlet next year, I feel like. Um, but, I, but I do really like this hire. All right, Christian, your thoughts on the Antonio Pierce hire by the Raiders? I think it's great, uh, personally. Look, you know, Antonio Pierce, you know, like no one's thinking, you know, I think with the Jim Harbaugh hire, you know, the Raiders may go down a slot, honestly. But it's not because of, you know, the coaching or some of the players on that roster. It, it's kind of like that is a tough division. Next year – like, there's a lot of expectations to go on. You know, how Denver was in midseason form, can they get to that uh, in the beginning and end of the seasons? What about the Raiders, you know, when they hired Antonio Pierce and, you know, the Chargers and you already know about Kansas City? There is a lot of excitement in this division. And with the Raiders, I think it's great. And now, yes, there were more candidates in, out in this field that could be intriguing right and we were talking you know behind the scenes and we're, and i and i thought if the raiders went a different direction 
there's only one head coach to go instead of Antonio Pierce, and that's Jim Harbaugh, right? And it came out that Max Crosby was going to ask for a trade, potentially ask for a trade, if Antonio Pierce was not hired as the head coach. That's a risk. But I think Jim Harbaugh would be the only guy that could possibly be fine as the head coach of the Raiders, if not Antonio Pierce. So for the Raiders, getting Antonio, I think it's amazing. Now, what did the Raiders do, right? They have huge quarterback questions right now. Jimmy Garoppolo, Aiden O'Connell, whatever they do in free agency, because really the best one they can really get is Kirk Cousins. I think he's probably the best candidate as a free agent that won't be on their team next year. I think Baker maybe resigns with Tampa Bay, how he did. So I think Kirk Cousins is probably the guy if they want to go in free agency. But the Raiders, they would have to trade up a lot of picks to get those better candidates. Do they trade with Chicago, go number one overall, and get Caleb Williams over there? That would be very intriguing. Do you trade with maybe Washington or uh, New England and pick up, in my opinion, Jalen Daniels on that team? I don't know if Drake May fits that culture, really. Raiders are more of a rough kind of culture. He's from North Carolina. That's that's very polar opposite. So I think they go Daniels or Caleb Williams, Michael Penix. Like they, they have a lot of options if they have to go at quarterback. So the Raiders are going to be in an intriguing position uh, where they go from here. But I think Antonio Pierce is the best candidate for the job. And to me, this is the A-plus hire of the offseason so far, head coaching-wise. All right, on to the next hire, and it is the Tennessee Titans. They went out and hired Brian Callahan, who was the offensive coordinator with the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, this hire, for me at least, it's maybe it's one of the lower-ranked hires of this offseason cycle. Not necessarily saying it's a bad fit, bad hire, because the work that Callahan did, you know, with Joe Burrow, you know, going to the Super Bowl a few years ago, and even this year with uh, Jake Browning having to fill in because of the injury to Joe Burrow, I think it's a testament to who Brian Callahan is. And it's hard to replace Vrabel, even though Vrabel's on a downswing uh, this year. And the division, it's not a tough division, but Tennessee, I think, is kind of one of the uh, – like everyone else in the division this year, at least, they had a chance to make the playoffs on the following week of the season. Tennessee did not. And – Again, it can work out, but I just kind of don't see it working out necessarily because I they got to get the roster better. Like the quarterback situation there, like Tannehill's out. He's a free agent. There's really no sense of bringing him back. You have Will Levis, who shows some promise at times this past year, and Malik Willis, who seems like – I mean, he was a third-round pick, so it's not really bust label there, but he doesn't seem like he's that good of a quarterback to have as your future. Um Maybe they look to get another quarterback on the roster, but then you'd be drafting three years in a row at quarterback, and that doesn't seem feasible either. Um, and I think my issue with Tennessee is more so with, I think, the GM. Like, they trade away A.J. Brown a year ago for really no reason. Um, and that's what bothers me, or two years ago. But I think they can be, you know, a fine organization. It can work, but I'm not totally sold on this hire, if I'm being honest. Um but like Tennessee, like he could have gone out and got, I don't really know who else. 
would have been interested to stay on the Titans job. Like, it might end up being the, the best candidate they could have gotten. Um, but I'm just not really a bit so I'm a big fan of this hire, if I'm being honest. Dalton, your thoughts on the uh, the Brian Callahan hire by the Tennessee Titans? Uh, you know, I think I think what this one is, well, I, you know, I think Vrabel, first of all, shouldn't have been let go. I feel like that's – you you look at this again, like Vrabel, you know, he might as well just be back. You know, we're talking about Brian Callahan who didn't even call plays as the OC with the Bengals for five years. Okay, he was, he was in there for – and he just didn't call plays. Zach Taylor was the one calling plays. And, you know, so now he's got a situation with two young QBs and – you know, of course, that stuff with Derrick Henry, like, they've got to go the right way. It's an uphill battle, though. You know, with that division, the Texans, you know, of course, we know they were a playoff team. They advanced to the second round of the playoffs, the divisional. And the Jags, you know, are, you know, people are going to be the first to pick the Texans or the Jags to win the division next year. Whether, you know, I, I don't think big things are going to happen with Tennessee. I really don't. I, I, you know, maybe this is me just being completely cynical about and completely negative about the Brian Callahan fire, but I just don't think that it's going to be fine. I mean, it's a good hire, I guess, for what they have currently, for what they want to do. Uh, who 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 knows what they want to do? Um, yeah, I mean, there's not really that much that I can say about that, especially for this guy who is, you know, getting the nod, but, you know, he's he was under the tutelage of Zach Taylor for for a while, and not even. I mean, he didn't even do the position in which he held. You know, the the the, the duties did not consist of, you know, what they say. You know, those he's calling plays and whatnot. So, um, and maybe this is just you know maybe maybe that was a little bit shallow, but I I think we'll have to kind of just wait and see what happens with this one. I feel like. All right, Christian, your thoughts on the, the Callahan move by the Tennessee Titans? So I think it's you know kind of a you know big old question mark going into this year. Um, you know, obviously I you know I'm not the biggest fan of the Rabel firing. I thought that was probably the worst firing, honestly, of the entire offseason. And with Co- with Callahan, who is a quarterbacks coach, offensive mind, uh, trying to develop their quarterbacks with Will Levis and uh, Malik Willis, it's going to be uh, the big focal point of this team. Now, obviously, we have, you know, Derrick Henry situation. You you know, you got to build up that wide receiving core. DeAndre Hopkins is is now going to be a year older if he does return to Tennessee, right? Uh, That defense needs a crap ton of help. Like, Tennessee – it's probably the worst roster in football going into the offseason. And with a you know rookie head coach, it, it's going to have a ton of you know question marks and like can they you know take that next step uh, and try and compete in the AFC South? You know, I have no idea. You know, with how Houston has looked, uh, Jacksonville, you know, the Colts with Anthony Richardson back could be dangerous. So Tennessee is kind of in the worst position, but with Callahan, they believe that he can be, uh, you know, the head coach of the Tennessee Titans. Even though, you know, he wasn't an off, you know, he was an offensive coordinator for Cincinnati the last couple of years. So they trust him enough, especially with his 
uh, progression of Jake Browning uh, and got him kind of close to uh, the playoffs. So we shall see what happens. All right. Next hire in the offseason cycle, and that is, let's go, Dave Pinnells. He was the Buccaneers offensive coordinator and is now the head coach of the Carolina Panthers. And, again, you thought I was critical of Callahan. I just want I guess if you look at his last two years and you see that when he was in Seattle as the QB coach there, he kind of helped revitalize the career of Geno Smith. This past year as the OC in Tampa Bay, he helped revitalize the career of Baker Mayfield. So you're hiring him, I guess, at this point to try to get Bryce Young's career back on track. Because Bryce Young's rookie season, it was awful. Like, for number one overall pick, it was absolutely awful. And, again, I, I say it's too early to call Bryce Young himself a bust, but if he continues to not improve, it definitely will be. So that's what I look at. You, if you're Canals, that's the only reason they hired you, I think, is to get uh, him back on track because you're kind of used as QB whisper around the league. But, like, Tampa Bay's offense, it ebbed and flowed so much this year. I mean, the last week of the regular season – with a playoff spot on the line, Tampa Bay won nine nothing against Tampa against the Carolina Panthers, who was awful this year. So I mean, you even like, oh, that great offensive performance of nine points on us. And again, that's looking in a vacuum that is more tongue in cheek. But I'm I think you'll get Bryce Young on track, but I think Carolina's is super dysfunctional that I don't see it being successful anytime soon. If that makes sense, like it, it may not be Canal's fault. It may just be because David Tepper is a joke and he's a moron. That this is why this ultimately fails in a couple years, and he's canned because Tepper has also shown that he doesn't he doesn't care. He'll pull the plug early on someone if it's warranted. Um, I got again. I see whoever takes the job. I feel bad for them. Um, and I just don't think it's gonna work out. If it prove me wrong, I'll be happy to admit I was wrong on this. But this one, I just think. Given you know limited you know success or limited you know calling plays, it was only one year as the OC. Uh, you know you know he worked passing game coordinator and as the QB coach at center. He's been around the league. I just see this failing for a lot of reasons that may or may not be because of Dave Canals himself. Dalton, your thoughts on the Panthers hiring Canals to be their next head coach? I do believe that this could be a very a a good hire for them. Um... You know, you kind of mentioned, you know, this guy, you know, basically rejuvenating QB's careers. Um, but I will say that, like, the Panthers are an absolute mess. And, you know, I don't mean to copy what you just said, Spence, but, you know, Tepper's a moron is a very true statement. You know, you know, Tepper is – he's going to be meddling. You know, like, that's going – he's going to be in on, in on the action and going to have his fingerprints over everything. So – you know, as you know, I, I just, I, I just hope that this could be successful, but it's kind of like I'll believe it when I see it kind of scenario. And um, you know, there's, you know, I, I, I think you know we're just gonna have to see what happens with the Panthers this off season because, um, they're inheriting a real mess. Like this is this might be messier. I mean, we're talking about like one of the one of the messier teams, you know. Since let's just go back to 2015, right? You know, like in the past 10 years, 
you know, this might be one of the messier teams that we've seen. And it's going to be a real miracle if they go from worst to first in terms of their division. Um, so we're going to have to see what happens. But I think, you know, starting off with the head coach, this could be this could be good for them to get them back on the right track. All right, Christian, your thoughts on this move by the Panthers? Um, you know, I was not the biggest fan of him uh, in Tampa Bay, especially late into this year. Because uh, Tampa Bay is a very wild offensive team. It put up 34 points against uh, the Green Bay Packers in Green Bay, where Baker Mayfield had a perfect QBR rating of 158.3. And three weeks later, they play the Carolina Panthers and win 9 nothing. right? So, you know, in terms of like, yeah, defenses play better and all this kind of – and all these uh, different effects. But also, like, just kind of the up-and-down swindom of Tampa Bay Buccaneers offense – just didn't give me enough hope that like can now it's being head coach material his you know his, after his first year of being an OC it's kind of questioning right so with uh, him being the Carolina Panthers you know head coach I think a nobody wants to work with Tapper nobody like Canales is there only because like you know money talks and he thought you know. If he didn't think Baker was going to stay or if he didn't think this team was going to keep a lot of the same parts that they thought they were going to keep uh, going into next season, maybe he doesn't move. But with Carolina, Bryce Young is obviously, you know, objective number one, make him work. Uh, I said in the offseason last year, I thought Bryce Young was the best quarterback coming into the draft as long as well as a lot of other uh, people in the media and obviously he I don't think he's a bust I don't think all, all of it was his fault right you have Tepper as the owner Frank Reich as a head coach who was fired for a reason uh, that offensive line doesn't look very good uh, you know they don't have great receiving threats uh, replacing DJ Moore with Adam Thielen not the best right like, Thielen, you know, he was very good in Minnesota as a two at times three. But as the U.S. number one, just never quite works out. But for Canales, I hope that he does well for himself and for his family in the Carolina Panthers. For my sake of being kind of right with Bryce Young, I hope he can make Bryce successful. Uh, I think Dalton's also correct with this is a big long shot, but it's not – I don't think as big as a, as a long shot with from going worse to first. You got Tampa Bay who's losing, you know, the QB whisperer, as Spencer mentioned out. New Orleans still has Dennis Allen, and we saw the last play of the year, right? They just, you know, the players did not want uh, to follow Dennis Allen's instruction to knee it. They wanted to run in uh, at the one-yard line. And with the Atlanta Falcons, you know, we'll talk about them in a second, but – who knows how that, you know, roster is going to change up in that staff. So it's going to be, you know, interesting. It, you know, I don't think Carolina will be that worst the first team, but they absolutely could with the right offseason and draft moves uh, going into February, March, and April. Yeah, and, uh, speaking of Carolina, like you, not Carolina, Atlanta, like you just mentioned, Raheem Morris. This one, when I saw the news, I was stunned just because. 
a couple weeks ago, it seemed like a foregone conclusion that they would hire Bill Belichick to be their head coach. It seemed like Arthur Blank really wanted him, but no one else in the front office. And I get for a reason, you know, Terry Fonda, their GM. If you bring in Belichick, Belichick probably wants GM power too. Um, so that wasn't going to work for a lot of reasons. But Raheem Morris, he's familiar with the division and hell, even with Atlanta. He was actually, believe it or not, the interim coach back in 2020 when they fired Dan Quinn. And he was four and seven that year. Again, not enough to necessarily warrant keeping the job at that time. But he, you know, goes to LA. They have great defenses. They make the playoffs this year. Uh, and I that definitely was not something I saw uh, coming this year. Helped them win a Super Bowl a few years back. Like he has been successful. I mean, he got the job, the Buccaneers. Um, that was his, you know, for last full time coaching job. He was very young when he took the Tampa Bay job, and he had three seasons. Uh, one year they went ten and six. The other two years they had a combined seven wins. And again, it makes sense why they fired him at that time, finishing at near the bottom of the division every single year. Uh, but I, I I'm glad to see him get another chance because you usually don't see. Um, you know, guys who kind of flame out get the second chance, especially for somebody who's a minority candidate. You don't see that often. Like McDaniels got a second shot as a head coach, and he flamed out. Oh, for Morris' sake, that you don't see him flame out because I think it's you know he understands like he he's been in Tampa or Atlanta, he's been around that division for some time, and I think he's a great mind. And I'm glad to see him get a second chance. And the division, it's very winnable, like Christian was pointing out. With Carolina, they could come back and win the division. Tampa Bay, you don't have that office of quarters. How's Baker going to play without, without Canales? Kind of regressed a bit, if we're being honest with ourselves on that. So it's a great situation that they need to get the quarterback right. But even if you get like a serviceable quarterback in there, you can win the division. Because like Baker, I like him, but he's middle-of-the-road quarterback. And our car's declining. He's, he's young. young. No pun there. And Raheem, you get a, like a decent quarterback. Like you get Kirk Cousins. Like that's the best thing. Uh, I'd argue. Like he's, really be a, you know, really set up right now. The better NFC quarterbacks. It still would be. be. If that happens. Chance for the division. If that happens. Need some tweaking with the roster. I think Morris is a great fit with Atlanta. I think that's a great hot. I love Belichick. Just I love Belichick. Don, I don't know. Morris is two years with the Rams. Oh, and, uh, how he's going to do and that, what the Ram, what the Falcons are getting in Morris. Yeah, dude, I think that this is going. This is going to be a great hire. Like this, and this may just be me being completely biased, but we're talking about a guy who took a defense last year, and we basically had nobody on it uh, besides Donald on on the uh, defensive line, and they got to the playoffs. Okay, the, the defense wasn't awful. Okay, it was it was good enough to get in. Okay, and. That was, that might have been his best coaching job yet, okay? And people want to talk about, all oh, the Super Bowl year. Well, the Super Bowl year they had uh, some pretty good players, I think. Um, this was the second youngest team in the NBA uh, – excuse me, the second youngest team in the league. The defense was super young. They're starting rookies all over the place, right? 
course, back or the uh, uh, Packers was the first youngest, and they were able to get much farther. But you know, I think Raheem fits with the culture. Or like, I guess he he fits the culture. You know, I think the the Falcons and like the whole city of Atlanta. I feel like with Morris being already been there before, he knows. He knows how everything's supposed to go. Him and Terry are going to get things done. And I have great belief that they are going to be really, really good next year. I I, do, I, I think I'm going to have to see, like, what they do in terms of the offensive side. But they've got good defensive pieces. You know, Morris has worked on the offensive side and the defensive side. Uh, and he's very, very knowledgeable. Uh, and so, you know, he he's a, he's a really good coach. And I, I've – had the pleasure of watching his defenses for the past three seasons, uh, and he will be missed greatly. Like I, I, I did not, I did not cry when the announcement came that he was going to leave, but I did, you know, get a little bit sad because I know that, you know, it's going to be tough to fill his shoes for next year, and um, I'm not sure where the Rams are going to go in terms of defensive coordinator, but I, I really want Raheem back again for another year since he had been snubbed for the previous two years before here. And, you know, but it's, you know, we're just going to have to see, but, you know, I, I'm definitely cheering on for the Falcons for, for next season. And uh, I do think that, you know, Blank made the right decision. And, and I know, you know, Bill Belichick, you know, all those Super Bowls, the, the, the dude is one of the greatest, if not the greatest head coaches of all time. Okay, and you know, but I just feel like Morris is a fits. You know, he fits into what the Falcons want to be, and you know, he's a great teacher. And so, you know, Bill Belichick. I, you know, I hope he finds a coaching job somewhere else. But I feel like this was the right move for the Falcons to make. All right, thank you, Dalton. Christian, your thoughts on the Raheem Morris hire by the Atlanta Falcons? Uh, I think it's actually a good move. You know, I didn't really have an, a strong opinion, uh, whether good or bad, uh, going into this podcast. But after hearing uh, what you two have said, I think I kind of agree that, you know, this could be a good move for the Atlanta Falcons. Now, yes, Bill Belichick was like the main focus going into, uh, you know, going into this week before Raheem was picked. But at the end of the day, I think, you know, get a defensive mind in there. Uh, I think it's a lot better. They have great offensive youth with Pitts, uh, B. John Robinson, and Drake London. Get a fine quarterback. They have a top 10 pick. So do they decide to just kind of hold it and wait somebody to drop? Because somebody will drop, whether that's going to be a, uh, a Bo Nix, Michael Penix, J.J. McCarthy, you know, if they want to ride one more time with Desmond Ritter or Spencer alluded to Kirk Cousins, which, I mean, if Kirk's on that team, that's the best. You know, I said it last year about Derek Carr, but that could be the best quarterback in that division if Kirk Cousins joined. So for uh, for the Falcons, I think it does work. You need to get better defensive players on that roster and make them, you know, kind of, you know, transcend them into – one of the best defenses in uh, the NFC and especially the NFC South. So with Raheem, I definitely think it's going to be uh, something special in Atlanta and it'll, and it'll be given time. Now he can't go seven and 10 the next three seasons. 
and just not use the guys he drafts or picks up in free agency. You know, I think if you do that, and you're already better than Arthur Smith. So I think with the Falcons, you know, of course, I think some people are not going to be as hyped because they wanted Bill Belichick. But I think Raheem Morris is a great uh, pickup for them, you know, despite not getting Bill Belichick. All right. So now, yeah, like Christian said, that was the kind of foregone conclusion. Now it appears Belichick may not get a job this year, um, at least for the time being. Uh, the Commanders and Seahawks are the two jobs open. And there's a lot of very successful candidates that we thought were kind of like a shoe in to get a job this offseason. One is Ben Johnson, who has been rumored at some point to maybe the Commanders' new head coach. He's Lions OC. That has not yet happened. Seahawks, my belief is that it will be Dan Quinn. That's just because familiarity with the team, former D.C., you know, Pete Carroll kind of do that advisor role. Maybe they hire a guy that Pete knows, and Pete kind of will stay on board because he maybe wants to get an edge to coach again. Um, you know, Raheem Morris, like he just got hired, but Brable's still out there. Belichick's still out there. Um, so many other names out there that it's going to be a shame that, you know, there's only 32 jobs, and some teams want to give someone a chance, some don't, that there's going to be someone available for, you know, like, say something goes south this year and we see, like, a Bucks in the NBA situation where a coach gets fired to hire this guy from outside. Or maybe, you know, these guys take the year off and they will be one of the top hires next year. But those two jobs currently remain vacant at the time, the Commanders and the Seahawks. There were two GM hires this past week. And I'll just kind of lump them together and we can give an overall thought. Um, the Panthers went and they promoted Dan Morgan to be their next general manager. Uh, he was the assistant GM under uh, Scott Bitter. Uh, he was previously in Buffalo. I, I think it's a lazy move. Like, you can't blame the last GM for the problems and then, you know, promote from within. And I think it goes back to, like we said with Canals, it's a toxic culture in Carolina. That I don't know who else wanted the job. That maybe their only chance was just to promote from within because nobody else was interested in that job. And then the uh, the Raiders hiring ex-division rival um, Tom Telesco, who was with the Chargers for all those years. And he wasn't a bad GM necessarily. Like, he was there for almost a decade. And, you know, helped, you know they drafted Herbert, helped him out. You know, they had Phillip Rivers. They had a lot of good teams. Just never got to, you know, the big one. And never made it far in the playoffs. And I think, you know, lately it was Brandon Staley's fault. Um, with some of that clock management issues. But... It is weird that, you know, your current team that you just took the job, like we mentioned with Antonio Pierce, you had that big win. That Raiders, when the Raiders beat the Chargers 63-21, not only was Staley fired, but Telesco was fired as well. And now you're like, let's get that GM. And I think it's just more of a testament to the roster construction is good. You got to have the right coach in place. And I'm interested to see how the Pierce and Telesco pairing unfolds. Um because the McDaniels and Ziegler pairing failed, and those two guys were very familiar with each other's work because they both came from New England. Um, but I think Telesco, his experience is a plus, and like he helped get Justin Herbert, even though you know maybe the you know sure the draft fell to him, and that was an easy decision. But I trusted him to get a quarterback at some point in the near future for the Raiders if O'Connell's not the guy, which I think he's a serviceable guy. You can maybe run it back for another year, but 
we'll see what happens there. But I think Teleska, he's a good GM. And it's just kind of, you know, the rest of the roster the last couple of years. And the J.C. Jackson signing was one of the worst signings of the last decade in a while. So uh, those are my thoughts on those two hires. Uh, Dawn, your, any thoughts at all on the Panthers going with Dan Morgan, the Raiders going Tom Telesco to be their GM? Yeah, I mean, not a lot of thoughts on this one. You know, I just feel like with Tom Telesco specifically, uh, before I get to Dan Morgan, Tom Telesco, he has proven that he could build a really good roster. Okay, he's proven it through the draft. He's drafted well. He's signed really good free agents. And this dude is, is, is really good at what he does in terms of the general manager position. I feel like with Pierce and Telesco, those guys, they can really do some damage, some good damage in terms of getting this thing back for Vegas. Um, and people will be start screaming Vegas, baby, again. And, you know, this is, you know, it's, it's going to be really, really good to see. But, you know, I don't want to get too ahead of it, but I feel like the potential is really there. And now in terms of Dan Morgan, um, where you know, with the Panthers, look, there is a lot on this guy's plate, and him and Dave, Dan and Dave, have a lot to do, a lot of homework. Um, like I mentioned with the Dave hire, you know, I think you know, Tepper is going to be in the room, he's going to have his fingerprints all over this thing. Um, you know, are, are, are Dan and Dave, you know, like, are they going to be the guys to be like, hey, man? Much respect, but you have got to leave. Okay, let us do our jobs, and we can get you back. Get this franchise back, okay, to where they were uh, almost a decade ago. Uh, now that's going to take a lot of effort. There's going to be a lot of things that need to be fixed. This is an absolute mess. Um, but, you know, good luck. Good luck to Dan. You know, good luck to those guys up in Carolina because this is uh, – it could be a show, you know, I'm preparing some popcorn and everything because it's going to be an absolute film to watch this thing go down in Carolina. But I do believe that Tom Telesco signing with, or I guess, you know, becoming the next GM for the Raiders has very um, positive in terms of, you know, just positive vibes and you know we feel like with what he's been able to do in the past that he can replicate that with with vegas all right christian your thoughts if any on the two gm hires this past week uh i think for tom uh telesco for the raiders i think it's a great move um he i i don't think he was a problem i think the chargers wanted a fresh start with the chargers um you know so i think with the raiders it's very good you know, he's drafted very well. He's, you know, he can really, uh, you know, determine, you know, how, you know, players are going to be, uh, about, you know, he's very good at evaluations. He's very good at knowing who's going to work, who doesn't. Uh, and, you know, it may take a couple of years. Austin Eckler wasn't, uh, you know, Austin Eckler in a day. Um, you know, they, they're going to take some time to, you know, kind of develop, and that's what they're looking for with the Raiders. Um, and I think with him, and he's going to be over, you know, the whole scouting process. And I think the Raiders are gonna, may have one of the best classes uh, at the end of the draft in April. And then with, with Dan Morgan, I mean, he was a player a long time in Carolina there. You know, he was a you know, area scout for a while. You know, he knows, you know, the scouting uh, process and knows who's good for Carolina. 
And I really do hope that Tepper just, you know, him and his beer and, like, him flinging cups at everybody, that just takes a back seat. Um, just, you know, I, let the guys do their job. You hired him for a reason. You're the owner. You know, I get the owner has major say if the team's not doing well. The team's not doing well because you're not giving the team enough time to actually develop. If you're giving your guys, you know, 10 games at best, it ain't going to do anything. So I think Tepper should really take a step back, let Dan and Dave do their jobs, and in a couple of years, if nothing's going well, you try again. Uh, you know, so I think for Tepper, he needs to hold his temper, and he needs to just, you know, sign the checks of his uh, staff members and, you know, just try and get Carolina out of the dumpster fire that they're in. And, you know, create a better image for yourself and your team. So, I think for Dan, he'll be a fine GM. It You know, this is his first main executive spot uh, besides being director of player personnel. So, he has an opportunity to succeed with them. But I think for Carolina, it's going to be uh, – we're in for the long call for sure. All right. So, that – We'll conclude our GM hirings. As of now, the Chargers and Patriots are the only GM jobs available. The Chargers have, you know, they're conducting second interviews right now. Patriots appears they may not hire a GM, at least in the interim. Um, but we'll see what happens. If those do get uh, filled, we will break that down on the show, as we do all the time. But let's talk actual games that have taken place. And that was the divisional weekend which yielded some very fun games, I would say. Um, the first one was by far the least fun, at least from a you know competitive standpoint, although it was tied at halftime 10-10, the Texans and the Ravens game. Um, but Lamar showed why he is going to be the MVP more than likely. 100 yards on the ground, 152 yards in the air, two touchdowns through the air, two touchdowns on the ground for Mr. Jackson. Just overall a fantastic game for the Ravens. The second half, they just, you know, lit it up. Like, it was not going to be um, – they were not going to let the Texans win at all. And, again, credit to C.J. Stroud in the, you know, Demeco Ryans. Great year for the rookie head coach and quarterback duo. Exceeding all expectations. Like, I didn't think they would win the division. Or make the playoffs, mind you. They did both that. I did think they'd win the playoff game, seeing the matchup. Actually, no, I did. I picked Cleveland, excuse me. I didn't think they would win a playoff game. They showed that they could do that. And they didn't exceed every expectation this season. They got nothing to be uh, ashamed of this year. Again, you can be they can be sad they lost. I get that. But the future's bright there. For the Ravens, fantastic game. Like, like a smidge of Lamar stat line. You know, Zay Flowers goes four for 41. Uh, Nelson Aguilar's even catching touchdown passes, which, you know, you love to see after kind of falling flat with uh, his previous stops in Philadelphia, New England, and Las Vegas. Um, really the only big play, the last big play for the Texans was a punt return touchdown they had late in the second quarter. They had no offensive touchdowns all game, and you're not going to win many games doing that. Um. And the Ravens, you know, they advance. They get to host a conference title game, which I they they've won two Super Bowls. The Ravens have neither of those Super Bowl runs. They had the AFC title game in their home. They have played. This is their first AFC since they became the Baltimore Ravens. 
the first AFC or conference title game to be played in Baltimore since 1971. When, oh, by the way, another former Louisville quarterback, Johnny Unitas, was the quarterback of the then Baltimore Colts when that happened. So Louisville guys doing great for the city of Baltimore, apparently. Uh, that's the storyline we're going to stick with. Now, they, they may have lost that game, sure. They lost to the Dolphins 21 nothing the AFC title game. But, yeah, that's the last time Baltimore hosted an AFC uh, title game was in that year. So um, nice to see. Dalton, your thoughts that game, the uh, Ravens, the Texans? I do believe that, you know, the Ravens did what they needed to win this game. They they were able to, you know, score touchdowns when they when they needed to and, you know, really get this game out of reach. You know, it was 10-10 and a half, but, you know, second half, it just felt like it was all, all Lamar, all Ravens. Um, I do believe the Texans – they got penalized a lot this game, you know, um, you know, 10 plus penalties um, compared to the Ravens had maybe, maybe five, maybe, maybe less than that, you know, three, uh, three penalties. So, you know, that and just them keeping the Baltimore Ravens from scoring touchdowns and, and you know, trying to make them settle for field goals is it was killer. It was killer. And the Ravens showed why they have the best defense in the league. You know, they showed again, like, holding an offense like the Texans who, you know, they, they were showing out this year. And um, the Ravens did what they had to do at home. Uh, they, they they blew another team out. Uh, and, you know, it's on to the next game. Um, yeah, it just didn't seem like it was – even even a fair matchup in the second half. It just felt like the Baltimore Ravens were taking off. All right. Christian, your thoughts on the uh, Ravens-Texans game? Um, you know, even though I think it is, you know, it was the biggest blowout of uh, the weekend, I still really do think that was one of the better games, uh, especially early in that game, you know, Lamar Jackson is going to be the MVP. Even though it's most likely, Lamar Jackson is that good, and he has really revitalized his career so much that, you know, he has, you know, he's been healthy this entire season. He has played extremely well. You know, he wasn't run first mentality. He's been great in the air. He is an absolute threat, and he should be the MVP this year. Um, and, you know, the Houston Texans have nothing to be ashamed of. They, you know, they were not expected to do much, if anything at all, this year when they had, uh, you know, C.J. Stroud and D'Amico Ryan's young head coach, you know, young head coach, rookie quarterback. They weren't supposed to do a daggum thing. And the fact that they did and they were made into something is completely amazing. And winning the AFC South, uh, even though Jacksonville fumbled that hard, uh, is quite amazing. And C.J. Shroud played his absolute butt off. Uh, going up against that Ravens defense, man, I mean, it pressures you, you know, all night. We were talking about this in the text, like, man, Houston really needs to build an offensive line, but I don't think it's that offensive line. They handled Cleveland pretty well with that defensive line. I think the Ravens are just that, you know, that good and can pressure you that quickly if you don't get the ball out in like two and a half seconds. So, for Houston, 
nothing to be ashamed of. It was tremendous to be tied at halftime with the number one seed in the AFC. And then, obviously, they went on a 24 nothing stretch in the second half. Um, and Lamar showed why he's Lamar, right? You know, he threw the ball really well. He passed the ball tremendously. You know, he passed it tremendously, ran it really well. So, Lamar, you know, he's going to lead Baltimore into the AFC Championship game. And, you know, we do hope that he does well in that game uh, as a former, you know, Louisville, uh, you know, someone who was a student at the University of Louisville, who's, you know, lived there for most of my life. As a former Louisville Cardinal, you know, I have high hopes for him. And uh, we shall see what happens when they play, you know, spoiler, the Kansas City Chiefs. All right. So that was game one of the weekend. Game two of the weekend involved Green Bay, San Francisco, instant classic. Chris, Charles, you start things off with this game since uh, Green Bay is your favorite team. So the floor is yours. So what I've done recently in the last several games is kind of go, you know, breakdown by breakdown, drive by drive, and uh, kind of talk about, you know, the you know, events of that game. As a Green Bay Packer fan, I just want to talk about the game. Um, you know, it was kind of a rainy day. California doesn't rain too much. And in Santa Clara, it did rain, in, you know, over there uh, throughout the game Saturday night. And going into this game, I did predict San Francisco to win the game. But I had a suspicion. Like, we we blew the wheels off, off of uh, Dallas in Dallas last week. Green Bay could do something very shocking, beat San Francisco, and go on to the NFC Championship game against either Tampa or Detroit. And throughout that game, you know, they – you know, Green Bay took the ball first, marched all the way down the field, and, you know, they, they got a field goal out of it, right? And, you know, very first drive, I'm just like, man, you know, we uh, we should get a touchdown, but going up against this team, we got to take our points, right? San Francisco, they, you know, they started out, Brock Purdy didn't look comfortable at all. Brock didn't look good at all from the start. And they punted that ball away. And I'm thinking, are we are we about to see a repeat of last week? Green Bay again, next drive, right? They're, like, Green Bay is a consistent marching down the, you know, marching football down the field. And they turn over on downs. And I think it was a bad spot personally, right? I think Jordan Love got the first down. The referees did not agree. Spotted the ball where it was not a first down. San Francisco took over. Three nothing, right? Go, about to go into the second quarter, and Green Bay, like we're not hitting what we need to hit. Not that Jordan Love was throwing bad balls. Not that they were catching them. It's just things weren't clicking. wasn't clicking as much as it did in Dallas. The momentum was not there yet, but you know I still had hope. I still had hope, and then. You know, the San Francisco finally kind of got into a rhythm, right? Brock was making some short, good throws. Christian was doing good. George Kettle, Spencer alluded to uh, last podcast, where Green Bay, you know, and I think just a lot of teams in general, they can't defend tight ends. And I don't think it was mainly a Green Bay thing, even though Kettle had a 
touchdown uh, in the first half. George Kittle is probably the best tight end in football. You can argue that with Travis Kelsey. You can argue that with Mark Andrews. You can argue that with Sam Rafuita. You can argue that with, you know, a lot of the tight ends that are in our game. Um, so it's going to be, you know, a difficult matchup when you're taking on a tremendous athlete who has the body of a linebacker, you know, the strength of an offensive lineman, and also possibly the speed of a fine wide receiver. So taking on that, you know, matchup and George Kittle being, you know, from Iowa, which is tight end university, yes, Sam Laquita, like they're, you know, they are for sure going to handle business with Kittle, you know, at the helm. And Brock Purdy, he did throw a dime, but, I mean, you go one-on-one with George Kittle, George Kittle's going to win 99% of the time, unless it's the prime Deion Sanders back there. Like, you know, it's going to be a rough day if, you know, if you're going one-on-one with George Kittle. Again, Green Bay kind of stutters. And at the end of the half, thank goodness, San Francisco missed the kick, right? So we're going into halftime, and Green Bay scores a field goal later on. We're going into halftime 6-7, to seven, San Francisco. And it was, like, shocking to me. I mean, we're in this game. I thought San Francisco would, you know, blow the wheels off of us. They're, they're in a tight game here. And throughout this game, more touchdowns come down to it. And at one point, we were up 21. We're up 21 to 17. Right? 21 to 17. We have a chance to make a field goal, right, and, you know, and to take a further lead, take a touchdown lead. And I don't want to blame just Andres, right? In that game, before he had to kick the field goal, before he had to kick a field goal, they said on Fox that they talked to Matt LaFleur, and I think it's more defamatory because they may take it out of context. But they said, and I quote, Matt LaFleur, when talking about his kicker and making a field goal, he says, I'm just hoping and praying. You don't want, you do not want that about any player at all. You talk about, you know, saying that about Brett Favre, that's own interception, him and Josh Allen. You ask that about, you know, Nelson Aguilar dropping a pass. You say that about, uh, any offensive lineman missing a block, you say that about any defensive lineman, like, damn, man, that's tough. And and Andres had the, you know, his bottom five and extra points made and bottom five and field goal percentage made. Like, uh, you know, if you played at least 10 plus games, he was bottom five. That is bad. 81% is a B. 81% is a B. And, like, it's fine, right? It's good. But what do you want? You want a kicker that's pretty absolute. He doesn't need to be Justin Tucker making it from the opposite one one yard line and making it all the way. His expression, he could no kicker could ever make that. But expression, Justin Tucker is probably the only first ballot Hall of Fame kicker. He's just that daggum good. We're not asking you to make it, you know, 50, 60, 70-yard field goal. We're asking you to make a freaking 38-yard field goal and you miss it wide left, right? And it's like, we're going to have a new kicker. We signed a kicker after the game 
Because I'm like, okay, I don't know why we're signing God when we don't need him, but okay. And Green, you know, San Francisco gets the ball, marches all the way down the field for a touchdown. They take the lead. 24-21. Next drop, interception happens. Game's over. My personal opinion, Green Bay, very similar to Houston, didn't think they were going to be in that position. I did not think we would have a shot to win the game. Rock Purdy played worse than Jordan Love. I personally think that Rock Purdy, like, like he's a seventh-round pick for a reason. It's not that he's a bad football player. He's obviously better than all three of us combined, right? He he's that he's that good, and also he's leading you know a team to another NFC Championship game this year. Hopefully, he doesn't get hurt. Knock on wood, but like he, he's led his team to two NFC Championships in his two years, right? But Brock Purdy did not play confident when Debo Samuel got hurt. He played even worse, right? And, you know, the ball's wet. He's trying to dry it off. That showed he did not have confidence in his ability to make a play, you know, because of a wet ball. And for Kyle Shanahan, that's lucky. That's a legacy one. And I was talking to Spencer about it. I, talk, I think I was talking to about it too. If they lost this game, they had to talk about the quarterback issue. Right? I don't think it's an issue, but Brock Purdy played his worst games in the rain when he played against the Cleveland Browns. He played an absolutely terrible game against Cincinnati Bengals. He played a god-awful game on Christmas Day against the Baltimore Ravens, who he couldn't match up with on in the Super Bowl. Could. We'll, we'll find out. But Brock Purdy has a limit. We've seen, like, as Mr. Irrelevant, he's the best Mr. Irrelevant of all time. If there's a Hall of Fame spot for that, he's in it. But he's lucky to be in this position. He's lucky to that he has probably the greatest, you know, set of team of set of teammates ever. He has a top five tight end, arguably. I think he has the best running back in the entire Dagum League. I think he has one of the best offensive lines in the league. I think he's got two of a combination. Two of the best defensive ends in the league, Chase Young and Nick Posa. I think you got a tremendous uh, inside linebacker in Fred Warner, right? That secondary needs some work, but it's still good enough, right? You have tremendous wide receivers and Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel. You have a tremendous play caller in Kyle Shanahan, and it, it only matters because the quarterback is the focal point of all teams. Quarterback ain't good, team ain't gonna be good. Look at Atlanta. Atlanta has a pretty good roster. That team ain't anything, right? The Chargers are the opposite, where they have a great quarterback, and somehow the team still screws up But because of really the head coach. But Jordan Love is the future of the Green Bay Packers. I am saying it now. Matt LaFleur has done a tremendous job being a play caller, getting this young team into the playoffs, getting them to that close in the NFC Championship game is wild. It is exciting. I am saddened on one part of missing the NFC Championship game, but, you know, personal matters aside, of course, Spencer and Dalton both know the situation, but I'm glad something is going on and something's happening personally 
rather than the Packers uh, going to the NFC Championship. So, you know, for Green Bay, we're probably going to be in the hunt for the NFC North title with Detroit next year, uh, depending on what Chicago and Minnesota do. But I think Green Bay is set with their number one quarterback in Jordan Love. So that's my takeaways of it. Yeah, I mean, my takeaway on this game, I think it's it's twofold. Jordan Love, he had two interceptions, and the last one was absolutely awful. That one, and Drake Greenlaw got both interceptions, and I think he pissed off some 49ers fans because the last one, I mean, both of them he tried to run back, but the last one especially, it's like, just dude, just get down. Like, yeah, the line was nine and a half, and people got their jokes off that Drake Greenlaw, uh, you know, took the 49ers to cover, and that's why he was trying to score there. The last one was awful. That Brock Purdy, like Christian said, you would try to raise question on the quarterback play because he had a couple interceptions that were dropped or, you know, just barely missed the DB that was supposed to, that could have easily got an interception. And that's what my takeaway on this game. Like, yeah, it's that George could have a good game. And he did four receptions, 81 yards, including a touchdown. Christian McCaffrey, he's a shoe in to find the end zone at least once. He found it twice, including the go ahead one late. Um, but like, like you say, if you're Green Bay, you were the seven Steve. Like, yeah, the magical run's over, and yes, like, you were in the game to the very end. Like, you had the lead, and yeah, if Carlson makes the field goal, again, we'll never know since that point game how much, you know, how aggressive Kyle Shanahan is on the play calling. You know, let's say they don't drive down Green Bay Woods by seven. Or if they do, do they go for two? There's a lot of ways it could plays out if you play the white game if Carlson is the field goal. Because Stanford has a chance. They could go down the field. They could tie it up. They could be in overtime. And Sanford may still win the game. Um, it's an easy distraction. Like, hey, yeah, blame the kicker for the loss. But again, like Jordan Love threw some couple of interceptions. And there was a side-by-side comparison that I saw um, where and then it's Brett Favre with Minnesota against the Saints in the NFC title game where it looks so similar because they're throwing across their body. Awful pass that, like, did not need to be thrown there. Um, yeah, it sucks for Green Bay, but depending on who comes back, like they are the youngest team in the playoffs, like Dalton alluded to earlier. Um, they were the youngest team by far in the league. They made the playoffs. They won a game. And I, I agree with Christian's point by Houston. Like you, again, it sucks to lose, don't get me wrong, but you overachieved all expectations on this season for your team that, Maybe this is the year Green Bay decides to invest the first-round pick in an offensive weapon. I Probably not. I know we joke about that. But maybe they see, you know, Jordan loves our future. He'll get paid. Because I know they reworked the contract a little bit. He'll get a deal this offseason to keep it in Green Bay long-term because he has shown all the points in what you Dalton, I'll go to you next. Your thoughts, Green Bay, San Francisco on Saturday night. Okay, uh, I want to give a congratulations to the Packers for their season. Okay, again, just absolutely crushed the expectations, and dang near should have won this game. Okay, like I'm gonna, I, I wouldn't be the first person to say this. Like this is not particularly my kind of bowl, but um. The Packers, like, there were some things that I was like, what is going on? Like, this is just so suspect, you know, like the Jordan Love interception, you know, that you just mentioned, Spence, the Brett Favre-like interception. 
you go look at it, the man's covered. Why is he throwing the ball? What are you talking about? Jordan Love has been on fire this entire, like, this entire stretch. The man is on fire, okay? Not turning the ball over, making great decisions. I mean, he's doing a great job as quarterback, you know? And I was like, that is – I'm not going to say anything, but that is – I'm duly noting that because I kind of want to see how this playoff thing goes. But, you know, that is that is a key – that is a key point that I'm just going to write on the drawing board. Um, the two turnovers, man, that was that was crucial. And but you know, again, I have to agree with Christian that you know Jordan Love played way better than Brock Purdy. Brock was, uh, Brock. I don't know. I don't even know what Brock was doing. Like he was. I don't know. I'm not sure if he was just nervous or just his hands were too small or both or whatever. But, you know, the man has been in this position before. And for him to do what he did, and I know people want to talk about the last drive. All of his guys were open on the last drive. And I was so dumbfounded because the entire game, he was struggling to get the ball up and down the field. And, you know, and really, if it wasn't for Christian McCaffrey's two touchdowns, the Packers might have won this game. And I'm just... The concern is, like, what happened? Okay, Joe Barry was dialing up for the defense. Jair Alexander was playing extremely well. And for it to go go down the way that it did, and Debo Samuel went down early, too. It's not like Debo was on the field. And so everything was in the cards for the Packers to win this game. And somehow, San Francisco pulls it out. Somehow, they pull it out. San Francisco was penalized more. Of course, they didn't win the turnover battle, but there is a but. You know, there it's there's certain things that happening throughout the game, and I get the ups and flows, whatever. Or you're just like that doesn't make any sense. But again, like you know, we're talking about Carlson missing that field goal. Man doing so well with the extra points. And, you know, field goal percentage, not particularly, you know, not like it's not it's not like everybody can be Justin Tucker, but you can be if you, 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 you can be like, you know, like good enough. I feel like Carlson is good enough for him to miss that field goal. It's like, OK, again, this is money. We're in the playoffs can't be doing that. And I'm actually going to that, that's that's actually another point that I'm going to get to in a game later on. I don't know. I mean, good job San Francisco for winning, but I'm not happy about it. And this just maybe me being, being like, oh, you do your 49ers hater division rival play them twice a year, yada, yada, yada. I feel like the Packers should have won that game. And, you know, it, it's, you know, I know it's like should have, you know, like what it could have, should have. They had every right to win that game. Like that, the 49ers were playing awful. And Chris McCaffrey pulled them out of a coffin that was almost nailed shut. And, you know, if I'm San Fran going into the NFC Championship game, I'm nervous. Because we're going to get to that team in a second. But that other team is playing extremely well right now. And they have a swagger that I'm not even sure this team could bring down. They're playing at an all-time high. You know, they are there. They, they they really are. And so for this game to go down the way that it did, 
Uh, I've got quite, I've got some questions. Um, but you know, congratulations to Green Bay. You guys had a great season. I mean, it was, it was a great season and, um, Low-key was kind of hoping you beat San Fran for me, but that's 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 definitely okay. Uh, of course, we'll probably get them next year. But, yeah, that's uh, yeah, those are kind of my thoughts on, on that game. All right. The other – on Sunday, the divisional round, first game was Tampa Bay and Detroit. And this is a game Detroit really dominated start to finish. Like, yeah, the score, it was close for most of the game, but you never really felt like – or Tampa Bay, excuse me, was going to win this game because it just felt like Detroit, you know, they're at home, the environment. They were not going to lose at home in this year's playoffs. And, you know, the, it was yeah, halftime's tight 10. You have Craig Reynolds gets a touchdown. Rashad White, he answers back right before the end of the third quarter. So you're going to the fourth quarter and you're tied at 17. But then you had Jameer Gibbs breaks off a 31 yard run uh, early in the fourth quarter. And then on the next drive for uh, Detroit, they milked the clock. Ten plays, 89 yards, almost six minutes of time wasted. And they find a Monterey St. Brown in the end zone. Um, and then Tampa Bay is doing the new trendy thing that everyone's doing, which I agree with to a degree, where you score a touchdown and then you go for two. Because the thinking is, you're gonna, if you're going to go for two twice, you're more likely converting at least once. Why not go right now? And if you convert it, you go ahead. You're only down six, and you score, kick the extra point, and you win. Uh, is the thing in there. They do not get the two point conversion. And there's also there was a controversial uh, moment at the end where, like Detroit is snapping the ball a little early because it's four seconds on the play clock. They're snapping it early to the point where Tampa Bay they have a timeout they could have used. They elect not to use. Uh, use the timeout, and Todd Bowles' explanation was, why delay the inevitable? Well, the kick would have been, like, 49 yards out or so. Uh, you kind of, don't you, you kind of owe it to yourself to give your team a chance, even if it is, you know, slim to none, and, you know, he kicks it, it's an 11-point game, and you know the game's over at that point. Especially the plus, I think you owe your guys a chance to have that moment. Um, Electing not to do that, just, you know, head-scratching. I mean, obviously, you know, Golf did throw the interception late. Um, that hurt his team when they got the ball – or Baker Mayfield, excuse me, threw the interception late when their team's down eight with a chance to maybe tie it up, get the field, get a touchdown, get potential two-point conversion. But, again, I don't know if you – know, they call timeout, he misses it, what happens, we'll never know. But I think, you know – you kind of owe it to your guys. But, you know, I don't want to take away from T Detroit what they've accomplished this year. Getting to the conference title game for the first time since 1991 when they lost to Washington. And while they're going to be on the road at San Francisco, they got to feel, you know, excited and pumped up that, you know, they're getting to this position with Jared Goff. So, congratulations, Detroit, on this victory. And, and what we now know was Dave Canal's last game – or Dan Canal's, excuse me – his last game with Tampa Bay because he just took the Carolina Panthers job. Uh, but, Dolan, your thoughts on the Detroit Lions win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, 31-23? Uh, I, I do believe that, you know, this game was not exactly a shock. Uh, I, I, I do think that the 
Lions were going to win this game regardless. And, you know, it's it's nothing against the Buccaneers. I do think that there were some things that cost the Bucs in this game. I do think that home field advantage, first of all, okay? Ford Field has sold out every game this season, okay? They, they sold out all of their tickets, okay? It was going to be rowdy. And um, I think we talked about last week, like, if Matt Stafford couldn't get it done in Ford Field, uh, Baker was not going to get it done in Ford Field. Um, and they did it. Detroit covered the spread. The spread was six, six and a half. Uh, and they covered it. Uh, they won outright. The Bucks had more penalties than, than Detroit, um, and there was no way that the Lions were going to lose this game. I think St. Brown is playing his tail off. I think that Jameer Gibbs is playing his tail off. I think Jared Goff is playing winning football. The offensive line is, is protecting Goff. They are not letting uh, the defensive line and the defensive players get to him. Okay, He's not feeling the pressure. Uh, he's not turning the ball over. Uh, and I think that provides success for the Lions. Uh, now, defensively, um, I, I think, you know, there's there's always going to be some things uh, that are going on on the, on the, uh, the back end. Um, but, I, you know, I think Detroit did what they had to do. Um, their defensive coordinator, Glenn, uh, is, is, is doing his best with what he has currently. Uh, and, you know, they were able to slow down Mike Evans, who's having a, I think it's his ninth or 10th 1,000 yard season, which is insane to think about. But, you know, he had, a, he, he, he was having a really good year. And, of course, Mike Evans, and you look at all those pieces that they had on the Bucks offense. And for Detroit to really slow that down and keep them out of the end zone when they needed to was completely crucial. Uh, and so, you know, I think when you look at it, the, both teams were efficient. I, I do believe that, you know, they were kind of like 100% and like uh, 75. So, you know, very, very good. Three out of three, three out of four. Um, but, it do, but it, you know, it does feel like that the Lions situationally were able to just get the job done. I know there was a couple of things at the end that were kind of like head scratching. Like, ah, uh, you don't call that timeout, Todd Bowles, with like a minute and 40 seconds left. You know, force them to punt. You gave yourself another chance, and he said, "Well, the game was over." I, I think you know, as long as the game is you know not got triple zeros on it, I think the game's still going on. And if you have a timeout left, by all means, use it. Um, but you know, again, I'm not coaching. I'm just a guy with opinions that may or may not be good. So you know, I think with all that being said, uh, and of course, Baker having a really good year. He was, you know, throwing the ball to the other team, which is not a very good thing to do uh, and does not go over well in terms of trying to win the football game. Uh, but again, with the Detroit defense making plays when they need to, you know, it was kind of similar to San Francisco. You know, they were kind of making plays when they needed to. Um, so I think with all that in mind. So I do think with all that in mind that. You know, the Lions were going to win this game and they were going to cover. Uh, and we kind of foresaw that coming. And um, I don't I don't think that we're shocked by the by the uh, the result. All right. Christian, your thoughts on Detroit and Tampa Bay. So I think this is the only game I thought going into this weekend. It's like I don't think that uh, Detroit or excuse me, Tampa Bay had a great chance of winning. Um, I thought that Detroit kind of had this in the bag. And the fact that Tampa Bay, like, came out and 
you know, they tried to fight. You know, they had a strong attempt to make um, Detroit, you know, glorious kind of upbringing now, uh, like this revitalization of Detroit Lions and, you know, salt the fans a little bit and, you know, like Detroit kind of had a kind of a, you know, down year, honestly. Even though getting into uh, getting into the NFL playoffs, winning the playoff game is great for Detroit, they were favored in this game against Tampa Bay. And the fact that Tampa Bay, you know, with Mike Evans playing very well, Baker doing, you know, Baker things, this was kind of a revitalization for Tampa Bay. And Detroit, you know, they brought it with it. You know, Jared Goff played, you know, exceptionally well. Jamar Gibbs, my favorite player, honestly. Uh, absolutely love what he's been doing in Detroit. Uh I thought he should have gotten more reps over David Montgomery, who is, again, another tremendous running back in the NFL. Um, you know, Detroit earned it, for sure. And going into this NFC Championship game against San Francisco, it, it's going to be a toughie. Like, I have my decision made, but honestly, like, it, it could go both ways in, both, in many different areas. But Detroit... You know, they're going to San Francisco looking for a fight, and I think it's going to be a hell of a game. Uh, It's going to be brutal. It's going to be nasty. That's what Dan Campbell's uh, offense is. It's like they're going to bite you in the kneecaps. One kneecap is gone, uh, and that's the L.A. Rams. Sorry, Dalton. The other kneecap is gone with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You got – now you got to take out pretty much maybe that groin area or, you know, find another knee, a third knee. And bite it off for San Francisco and go into the Super Bowl. Um, I know they're like America's team right now. You know, a lot of people want to cheer them on, but you know, Detroit—they're savoring the moment. NFC Championship game—it's going to be a hell of a game. So, congratulations to Detroit. All right, and last but not least, you have the final game—a game that we all—I'm not going to say we knew, but we all predicted would be. An instant classic, given the history of these two teams. And it lived up to the hype. You know, Buffalo, Kansas City, they meet in the playoffs every single year, it seems. Um, except for last year. But these two teams, they have – it's one of the newer rivals in the NFL. And while Buffalo, you know, they got the better of them in the regular season matchup, the postseason is the one that you're going to be judged by. And Josh Allen is now 0-3 all-time in the postseason – against Patrick Mahomes. And, again, I know the narrative exists. Narratives are out there for a reason. You know, you can't beat your rival. But Kansas City was – I mean, yeah, Buffalo hosted because they won the regular season game. And, yes, the records were identical. But Kansas City, I think, still, as long as Mahomes is there, they're the better team. Like, yeah, the receiving core, it's Travis Kelsey and a bunch of dudes. Whereas Buffalo, you got Kincaid, Shakir, who I really like, Diggs. Etc. But I still, as long as Mahomes is on the team, I pick them more often than not to win the game. And Mahomes played fantastic. 17 23, 215 yards, and two touchdowns. Now, Josh Allen, who we've joked about, you know, interception prone, did not throw an interception this game. So credit him on that front, at least. He did his job and not turn the ball over to Kansas City, give them more opportunities. Now, that being said, you know, he had two rushing touchdowns. He had one through the air. 
to uh, clear Shakir. But the moment everyone's going to remember for this game, and because of where it was in the game, the biggest play of the game, was Tyler Bass's kick. And the two most infamous words in Buffalo is wide right because of Scott Norwood in the Super Bowl against the Giants in the 90s. And they did it again. Like, you could hear Nance and Romo, they're like, we had to say wide right because that's what happened. But you just feel bad for Buffalo. And again, there's a minute 47 to go in the game. He makes that field goal. We Knowing the history, I wouldn't doubt Mahomes to go down the field and get at least in the field range to send out Harrison Bucker for a field goal. Or at least, you know, score a touch. Like, I wouldn't doubt Kansas City in that scenario. But, you know, Buffalo's defense got stops all day. They could have done it again, potentially. Um, but it does suck when, you know, it's a missed kick because Bass is a good kicker. And he lined up, and I was like, this just feels like he's going to miss it. I, that's how I felt in the moment. I was like, he's probably going to miss this. It's going to suck for Buffalo. And he did. Um, and that's what people are going to remember for this game is that, you know, the kicker lined down. And, yeah, sure, Josh Allen, you could have scored a touchdown on that drive. Uh, but you didn't. And there's a, you know, again, it's not necessarily all the, on the kicker. Like, yeah, you missed the biggest moment. But there was a couple of big plays where Allen threw the ball to Diggs, and it's dropped. Like, it just barely misses Diggs. Whether it's on Diggs or on Allen, incomplete pass, you let it find another down. But you could have used that completion. So there's moments throughout the game that could have made a difference and swayed the outcome one way or another. But Kansas City, you got to give them credit. They got the win. They're, Patrick Mahomes, all he does in his six years as a starter has been to at least the AFC title game. Uh, and that is a wild stretch. Like Brady had eight late in his career with New England. But Mahomes, you can more often than not pencil them in for late January. Their, the division, basically a foregone conclusion. Winning at least one playoff game, kind of a foregone conclusion. And Again, until someone can upset them, and the AFC is deep with quarterbacks, but Mahomes is still not necessarily far away, but he's still the best quarterback in the NFL. And that's what you got to get Kansas City credit for because they will get better in the offseason because uh, they know the receiving core is not where it should be. But he's making chicken salad out of this, and you got give, you know, to give him credit for that. But Josh Allen still, he played as near perfect game as he could yeah, he could have he missed a couple throws that would have been huge. But for Josh Allen, I agree. You know, he didn't throw an interception. And this playoff run, he threw zero interceptions, which I would have bet he would have thrown at least two, just given that it was his nature in the regular season. But if he can, you know, play like this next regular season and not turn the ball over as much as he did this year, then Buffalo's got as good as anybody, you know, win the division again and make another run in January. But, Dawn, I'll go to you next. Your thoughts, reaction to the Kansas City Chiefs win escaping Buffalo 27-24. Yes. Uh, I, I think with this game, a couple things come to mind. Um, but before I get to those, I want to give a special congratulations to the Chiefs for making the AFC title game for a, another year. Okay, so this is, uh, again, we are going to have Mahomes, Swifty, uh, Travis Kelsey, Andy Reid on our televisions um, for the first time. 
so congratulations to Taylor Swift. She's made her first AFC title game. Um, and for the Bills, I feel bad for them because of um, the obviously the wide right that you just mentioned, Spence. Uh, it was it was windy that 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 day. Uh, you guys noticed that the wind was just just going so fast, you know, so fast one way and. You know, it didn't seem like, at least from the TV view, you know, the spectator view that the Bills had made adjustments, you know, in terms of like the kicker and the holder, like, how are we going to do this? You know, can we kick it right, you know, kick it right into the wind so that way it could come back uh, and kind of just like hook in? I know kind of difficult to do, but again, kind of that's kind of what I was thinking as he was going to kick that ball. Um. But I have to go to one point, you know, one thing that happened in the fourth quarter. And I think we were talking about this before we got on here again. The fourth and five in the Bills' own territory, the Bills went on it for fourth and five when they, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it, it, it was, of course, a close game. But there was no need to, there was no need to go for it. You know, they they went for it. It was it was a run. It was like you know, like it wasn't even like a punt pass. You know, or like the 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 punter passes the ball. You know, like seems like a Johnny Hecker or like some of these other punters would do. It was a run by Demar Hamlin. And look, I I think Demar Hamlin's a good player, but I didn't. But I didn't think that he was gonna have to you know run the ball on a fourth and five. That was a you know a game shifting play. Okay, I, I I didn't I didn't think that that was in the cards. Um, that was something that you know I was like, whoa, what are we doing here? And you know, what is actually going on? Um, what was the point of that entire play? I know people are gonna be like, well, look, like you've got to, um, like there's there's no reason why. You don't just, I don't know, punt it, punt the ball. There's 12 minutes left, 12 minutes, and it was a direct snap to Hamlin. And you didn't even get, if I'm not mistaken, guys, they got like, what, one, two yards? And you were only down by three points. So you gave the ball back to Kansas City. They're already in your territory. And if it wasn't for a fumble in the end zone that resulted in a touchback, they would have taken over and gotten the score up by 10 points. At least if you punt the ball back and you down Kansas City in their own territory, at least they have to go all the way down the field and you don't even know if they're going to score a touchdown. They could go down and score a field goal. Then you still have a chance to go back, get the ball next. You'll go down. And if you score a touchdown, then boom, you've got the lead. And I know that's a lot of steps. Like, Dalton, you don't know that's – I mean, you, you, really, you, you really don't even know if that's going to happen in this hypothetical situation. But, I mean, still. That is head scratching. That is, that is something where I'm like, okay, well, well, Sean, honestly, that is what you wanted to try to do. In a moment like that, 12 minutes left in the game, plenty of time, plenty of time, and you want to do a fourth and five, you know, direct snap to Damar Hamlin, the comeback player of the year, for him to get two yards. Now you look like an idiot. Okay, now you're now you're giving the Chiefs, 
who have been to the AFC title game for five, you know, four out of the last five, five out of the last six, six out of the last six. I think they've been to the last six, if I'm not mistaken, you know, for like every single year since Mahomes has been in the league, they've been able to advance. And you're trying to get over this hump and you want to do that play? Okay, brother. Okay. Forget the wide right. I mean, that's, you know, and I know, like, thank God. Thank God the man fumbled and, you know, you know, freaking resulted in the uh, touchback. Thank God that happened. Because I'll be darned. Chiefs score on that play. We're talking about Sean McDermott today. We're like, what are you doing, brother? What are you doing? Josh Allen was playing really well. Was playing really well. You guys mentioned this statistic already. Playing really well. You know, doing a great job. Of course, we missed that, uh, you know, connection down the sideline where Stephon Diggs just completely... You know, just let, let just completely let the ball go right through his arms. Ah, uh, I don't know. I mean that that was it was kind of, you know that that was. I feel bad for Buffalo Bill fans. I really do. Um, they they've been able to get so close and yet just can't seem to get over it. Can't seem to do it. Chiefs were out gained on first downs on both the first downs and total yardage. Uh, and yet the Chiefs were still able to win the game. I feel like because of the situational errors by the Bills and just the Chiefs were able to take advantage of their opportunities. So that was, you know, good for them, good for the Chiefs. And um, we'll see them next week. All right, Christian, your thoughts on the Chiefs narrowly escaping Buffalo with a win? Um, it's It's kind of a wild thought, right? And I said on the last week, who I want and who I thought were completely different. I wanted Buffalo to win. And how it looked like Buffalo, you know, had, you know, they were slowing Kansas City down. They were, you know, they were making sure that defense was on the field uh, for most of that game, and they were wearing them down. And for Kansas City, they weren't the high-powered offense that they have been in the last several years. So they wanted to take advantage of that. And, you know, Buffalo – Missing some key catches, missing some key throws, you know, dumbfound decision that they made on the fourth and five, like Dalton alluded to, it, it had Buffalo's demise on it. And I want to show a couple or uh, have, you know, say a couple of stats about that Buffalo game where Buffalo seriously had them in their pocket. So they had, they, they had all the major categories, and Buffalo won them over Kansas City. Time of possession for almost over, what would this be, 14 minutes over a time of possession. They had six more first downs. They had seven more total yards. They were better on third down where it was 50% compared to 25%, the 20%. Fourth down conversions, two or three. Kansas City never went for one. Kansas City had more turnovers, one against Buffalo's none, but most, you know, field goals missed. Buffalo missed one, and that's when he needed to to tie this ball game up. Now, they had a chance, they had a couple chances uh, after the two minute warning before at the end of that drive where Josh Allen, trying to have a home run pass, gets hit by his own offensive lineman because Chris Jones just, you know, just bull rushed him and brought it all the way back to Josh Allen. Misses the throw, even though he had a wide open Stephon Diggs uh, on a uh, dig on a uh, uh, crossing route 
where he could have hit Stephon Diggs, who knows how many yards, possibly get out of bounds to stop the clock. And, you know, for Buffalo, you know, if that play connects or even the touchdown play connects, what happens, right? But, you know, it's absolutely terrible for Buffalo Bills to lose in that way, especially because those fans were shoveling snow out of that stadium for them to, you know, continue to skate. This game got delayed because of a bad snowstorm when he had to play the Pittsburgh Steelers in the wild card weekend. So, Buffalo Bill fans, they were excited. They wanted to help their Bills fans, their Bills team, uh, in this game against Kansas City. Even though it was going to be the last game of the season in Buffalo, you know, they wanted to support their team and show that they were going to be there for their uh, for their team. And to lose in that way, I don't know if it's on, it's not on Josh Allen, I don't think. Like, he played a tremendous game. I said he was going to commit a turnover. He didn't. He played very good. Um, you know, I, I don't know if I want to blame Sean Dermott, especially because of the uh, fake punt. You know, I don't want to blame their defense because that defense was going in injured, right? They had uh, two of their starting three linebackers out, uh, three of their starting secondary players out. You know, that front line was still kind of banged up. They were injured. Like, they were injured on the defensive side. And to, you know, to have a close game against Kansas City, to have a field goal game against Kansas City, who's possibly going to be a dynasty in the NFL, like, that, that's really good for Buffalo to, uh, you know, to possibly overcome, right? But, I mean, you know, if the team was, you know, half the defense wasn't injured, could it be different? Maybe, maybe not. But as sad as it is, Buffalo fails. And for Kansas City, they played pretty daggum well. Wide receivers were making plays. Um, Travis Kelsey was playing an amazing game. Um, Patrick Mahomes was doing Patrick Mahomes things. That defense, you know, even though they still have 24 points, they, you know, had some crucial uh, crucial stops when he needed to to get Kansas City over. So, for the Chiefs, they move on to the AFC title game, and it's going to be a, quite a fun matchup seeing Mahomes and Lamar Jackson. You know, they're the top two quarterbacks remaining in the playoffs, regardless of conference. So it's going to be a great quarterback matchup between Lamar and Mahomes. Well, let's just dive right into that matchup then, why don't we? Because that is the first game of Conference Championship Sunday. The Chiefs taking on the Ravens. You get Mahomes, the two-time MVP, rating Super Bowl MVP as well. Uh, And you get Lamar, who we all is assuming will be this year's MVP, this two-time MVP for Lamar Jackson. And again, this game, I can see it going both ways. I can see it being a shootout where both quarterbacks are on fire. Or I can see it where, you know, conversation games may tend to fade, you know, kind of a lower scoring game where it's like both teams' defenses are going at it, playing lights out. Because Baltimore, we know how good their defense is. They have one of the best defenses in the league, I would have to say. But I think it's going to be a lot of running the ball. Like Pacheco, great running the ball. Lamar Jackson, enough said running the ball for him. Uh, Like I said, last week he had two touchdowns passing, two touchdowns on the ground. And I think Zay Flowers is one of the best receivers in the NFL. At least, okay, let me rephrase that. Best rookie receivers 
in the NFL. Like, obviously, Puka was great. I think Zay Flowers is probably the second-best rookie receiver uh, this season. Um, But the Chiefs have a huge loss. Joe Tooney, he's not going to be playing. He tore his peck last week against Buffalo. He is out the starting left guard for the Kansas City Chiefs, which that is a uh, it's a huge miss up front for them. In Baltimore, they activated Mark Andrews. He is cleared to play. Will he play? Will he be limited? I could say more than likely. He hasn't played in a few months since injuring himself on Thursday Night Football against the Bengals. But if he is playing, again, I said a couple weeks ago, I didn't think Sam LaPorta was going to play again this season. He played the next week. So what do I know? I'm not an expert on injuries in football. Uh, but I do think Andrews and VS plays limited. But if he can get, like, one or two big plays for Baltimore, that might be all they need for this game, for him. Because he can come up in the clutch. Maybe you put him in, like, a red zone package where he can get separation, get a touchdown. And he's not having this huge workload this week. Um, but that's a huge addition back for Baltimore. And, again, Mahomes, he's been here time and time again. This is Lamar's first rodeo for the conference title game. But John Harbaugh's been here. Like I said, he's won a Super Bowl before. He knows how to make – like, it's a new group of players from the last time he was in this situation. But I still think he can get these guys amped up for this game. And while I normally would not pick against Mahomes, like I picked him last week, I picked him before, it's hard to pick against him. I'm going to go Baltimore just because I think Lamar, he's on a new level this year. And I think some Kansas City receiver, whether it's, you know, Kadarius, Tony, I mean, Sky Moore's out, but it's Tony, Rasheed Rice, who I do like. I think someone's going to make a mistake, and it's going to cost Mahomes this game. And I hate it for him, but also I love Lamar Jackson. So I, I'm going to side Baltimore right now. Um, that's my pick for this game. I think Baltimore gets back to the Super Bowl for the first time in Lamar Jackson's career. And they dethrone the defending champions. Don, what is your thoughts on this game? And who do you have winning this game? Okay. Um, okay. So, this is... I'm going to be watching this game very intently for this weekend. And there's a couple things. Um, actually, maybe maybe, maybe a little bit more than that. That I'm duly noting for this. Okay, first of all. Okay, the Ravens, this is a home game for them, right? So, like, this is going to be a rowdy crowd. This is uh, it's going to be all the marbles, man. You could be, I mean, this is going to get the most viewership of the weekend, right? Because all of it, like... Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, very good teams, very good teams, very good coaches. Okay, very good coaches. You know, Taylor Swift is going to be there. So, you know, it's, we're going to get a crap ton of viewership. It's going to be a great experience. Okay, great um, source of entertainment for your television this weekend. That being said, I'm very interested to see what happens with this game. Now, let's play a little, a little, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, little list exercise, okay? So I took the quarterback, the head coach, running back, tight end, wide receiver, I put together the O-line, the D-line, linebacker, secondary, and kicking. Okay, so I put all those in a list. And so whichever you think is better, whether it's talent, you know, actually, you know what, let's just, let's just, let's just go with talent to keep it consistent. 
Okay, so put championships aside. Let's go with just talent. So for the quarterback, we would, we would go with the Ravens. For the head coach, we feel like we trust we trust the Chiefs head coach, Andy Reid, a little bit more than John Harbaugh. Running back, uh, they've I, th- I think I think I think it's a I think it's a little bit of a wash. But if I had to go one way, I would probably go Pacheco over Gus Edwards. I feel I feel like that's fair to say. Tight end, wide receiver, again, kind of a wash. But I feel like this year, Zay Flowers, Mark Andrews, Odell, you know, that's a little bit more substantial than Travis Kelsey and just Rasheed Rice. The um uh the big guys up front, I feel like I would go with the Ravens here. I think that Joe Joe uh Thune's not gonna play for the Chiefs this game, so he's gonna be out. So I'm gonna go with the Ravens for the offensive line. The defensive line, Ravens, the linebackers, Ravens, secondary Ravens, kicking Ravens. Okay. So the Ravens have the much better team. So they should win this game, right? Okay. All right. So guess who the referee is this weekend? And, of course, we talked about this before we went on the podcast again after the break. Sean Smith's crew is refereeing this game. The Chiefs are 4-1 with Smith as a referee. He he has heavily favored the road team in recent years, in which the home teams have about a 40% chance of winning the game. Okay. Now, with all of that being said, I am still going to pick the Ravens because I hope and I hope and pray that the opposite result does not happen. Because if it happens, you are going to get me a heck of a lot ramped up. And next week is going to be ridiculous. I'm going to go with the Ravens. But if this goes the other way, after doing what we just did, where I just listed off all of the positions, the coaching, all that jazz. Oh, and I forgot to add home field. Yes, advantage Ravens. Okay, so all of those into this game. And if the result goes Chiefs, yeah, yeah, uh, we are going to have some fun next week. That is all I have to say about this game. Like, this is, the Ravens should win this game. They have the best defense in the league. Okay, Lamar's an MVP candidate, probably will win the award for the second time. John Harbaugh has been to a Super Bowl for uh, before and won it, actually. And he is doing really well in terms of his position this year. And putting all of that together, not to mention the kicking is how it usually is. Okay, Justin Tucker is the best, if not one of the best kickers in the league. And, of course, the city of Baltimore is going to be absolutely ridiculous. That atmosphere is going to be insane. All of that put together. I'm going to go with the Ravens, but I've got my keen eye for this game. All right, Christian, I got to give you your props first off because preseason, this was the matchup you had predicted was Chiefs versus Ravens. 
Now, we all three picked the uh, AFC North team. I picked the Bengals. Don't pick the Steelers to be in this spot. You had correctly predicted this matchup. Back then, you picked the Chiefs to win preseason. Before we get to your pick, what are you looking forward to in this game? Man, I'm looking forward to seriously the best two teams the AFC has to offer. And obviously, Buffalo has number two seed, right? And Kansas City, you know, they did have a down year in terms of what we expected out of them. But when you have Patrick Mahomes on that team, I'm not Chris Collinsworth in love with Patrick Mahomes, but we all have to respect Mahomes is, like, easily top two quarterbacks. You can all say who's number one on your list this year, but Patrick Mahomes is one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, and regardless of what happens in the future, like, he's a top ten all time. He's just absolutely talented at this stage in his career, absolutely a menace on that field, multiple Super Bowls, multiple MVPs, trips to the Super Bowl. He, uh, I believe he's two and one, if I'm not mistaken, uh, only lost to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the GOAT, in uh, Tom Brady. But you got you know Patrick Mahomes, who's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, going into an AFC Championship, a regular right now. And Lamar Jackson's going to his first, right? He was you know one of the hottest players in the country while he was in college, even after the year after his Heisman, which was better. He didn't win Heisman that year. But – he was still one of the best quarterbacks. And Baltimore trusted him enough to trade up back into the first round, get Lamar Jackson, and he said, I'm going to get a Super Bowl for this team. And that's the hope, right? Is The hope is he's going to bring him to the AFC title game, get him to the Super Bowl. And Lamar Jackson has a ton on his plate. Like I mentioned, these are the top two quarterbacks in, in the remaining field right now. I think way better than Jared Goff and a lot better than uh, Brock Purdy. So these two quarterbacks, whoever wins, they're going to have the quarterback advantage going into the Super Bowl and maybe have the overall advantage going in. But Baltimore's team has been on fire against the quote-unquote best teams. They destroyed Detroit. They whooped up Seattle when Seattle was catching on fire. They whooped the hell out of San Francisco. They beat the crap out of Miami. They, you know, it was a little bit later, but they beat up the Houston Texans. Baltimore has the capabilities. They have the capabilities of absolutely delivering, you know, the absolute pain to any opposing team that's quote-unquote the best team, the better team. And for the Baltimore Ravens, they're all thinking the same thing, right? Patrick Holmes, he's better. Travis Kelsey? Without Mark Andrews, he's the, you know, tight ends better, right? We have all of these matchups going on, but everyone's like, this is Mahomes effect, the Taylor Swift effect, right? Who I want and who I think is going to win are going to be the same this week. I'm thinking of Baltimore Ravens. I did go Kansas City in uh, the preseason. Number one, I didn't think Kansas City would leave the league in drops especially his boy Travis Kelsey having the most drops he's had in his entire career. I'm shocked that his wide receivers, his best one is a young man named Rasheed Rice, not a guy who, you know, has won Super Bowls and was Sky Moore and Kadarius Tony, right? 
you know, the offensive line is hurt. Joe Thune is their best offensive lineman, and I think better than Creed Humphrey. And their tackle situation's just not very good. Let's just be honest with that. So, with their offensive guard hurt, with uh, against that defensive front, you know Baltimore is going to bring the heat. And Mahomes, do you trust your guys to get open that quickly, especially if Kyle Hamilton is going to play, Humphrey's going to play, and everyone on Baltimore is going to feel like, hey, we have a bye if we win this game. Let's go all out and you know get into the Super Bowl and go to Vegas. So I think the Baltimore Ravens have a better offense. I think they have a better defense overall. I want Baltimore to win. Because half the time when I'm watching the Super Bowl, I don't want to see Taylor Swift. I get it. She's a very, you know, very good lady. She's, you know, done public service. She's, you know, she's a really good musician. A lot of people love her. I don't know a guy who likes her, but, you know, that's, you know, that's just my opinion. But, you know, a lot of people like Taylor Swift. I don't want to see her 70% of this daggum game. If every single play Kansas City has and they just put it on Taylor Swift, I'm going to be ignored, and probably a lot of people are just going to turn off the channel. I want Baltimore to win. I want Lamar Jackson to be the second quarterback from the University of Louisville to win a Super Bowl, right? I want that. So, quite honestly, Lamar, go do your thing. Baltimore, I'm picking you. All right. And the last matchup of the – or the second only other matchup they have this weekend, 49ers – and Lions, the game playing in Santa Clara, California. And Jared Goff has a chance to make history <clears throat> because since Jim Kelly, when he went to four straight Super Bowls, uh, and again, Elway I know went after, but Elway was in the Super Bowl before him. Every quarterback that has made the Super Bowl and they lost their first appearance in the Super Bowl, they have not made it back. Yeah, it's again, it's a weird trend. Like I mentioned preseason with that stat, Joe Burrow. I thought he was going to buck the trend this year. Obviously, Jalen Hurts. People thought he may be able to buck the trend this year and get back. Uh, but Jared Goff, he lost his first Super Bowl. And he's a chance to make it back. Which, again, this is including some legends out there. You know, like Kaepernick. Again, legends in their own right. Like Kaepernick, Cam Newton. Um, even, you know, Donovan McNabb. He never made it back. Uh, Drew Bledsoe now is a starter, but he never made it back. Like, there's some good quarterbacks out there. And Jared Goff has a chance to make the Super Bowl twice, which, correct me if I'm wrong, I think the only list only is Brady and Manning, who have made the Super Bowl with two different teams as a starting quarterback. Um, which, that would be just fascinating in its own right for Jared Goff, who was, you know, left for dead a few years ago. And then San Fran is to keep the Kyle Shanahan train going, where he could just take any quarterback he wants and make it to the Super Bowl. If it's Brock Purdy. Like, last year they needed Josh Johnson to come in due to injury. And then Brock had to go back in due to another injury. And they had to change the rule to do the emergency third quarterback this year. Uh, but, again, anyway, on the field, the quarterback play, it's very similar. Whereas you view these guys, and, again, the term game manager gets thrown out there. Because, yeah, they're, they're fine. They're serviceable quarterbacks. They fit. Again, I don't like necessarily turn the system quarterbacks, but the system they're asked to run, it, it, they do the job well. Like Shanahan's system, Brock Purdy does well. Jared Goff works well in Ben Johnson's system for Ben Johnson may get a head coaching job next year 
If not, the year after that. I fully believe that. But anyway, the running game, like Christian McCaffrey, he has scored a touchdown in, I think, 14 games this year. He's kind of a shooting to score a touchdown at some point. And then you got the two-headed monster in Detroit with Montgomery and Gibbs, the rookie. Amal Ross St. Brown, one of the best receivers in the NFL this past year. And in San Fran, you got Ayuk, you got Kittle. Now, Debo, he's been injured all week. And he'll probably be limited on Sunday for this game. And Debo has been one of the engines that's helped San Francisco. Because there was a stat before the Baltimore game earlier this year where it was if Trent Williams and Debo Samuel are both playing, then San Fran has won every game. You know, Debo gets banged up. Trent Williams gets banged up. They lose three straight games at one point this year. Uh, Again, that changed with that Baltimore game, I know. But I I find myself, like, again, the storyline of Detroit and what they've had to overcome and, like, the history versus San Fran, you know, five Super Bowl titles in their franchise history. And in our scenario of Baltimore, a rematch of the Super Bowl, like, ten years ago, when you had Jim Harbaugh taking on John Harbaugh, now it's Shanahan in charge. Take it out, John Harwell, if that's the scenario that is at play here. We'll see what happens. But I, I'm going to lean San Fran. I'm picking San Francisco right now uh, as my NFC champion. That was before the playoffs started. I know we never explicitly stated on, this, on these airwaves who our pick was, but I wouldn't pick Ravens as the 49ers. And I know it's a cop-out. They're both the one seeds. Sure, that happens more often than not. Uh, though lately it has not been the one seeds. Both once he's making it to the conference championship game, although last year it did happen. Uh, but I, I gotta go San Fran. I think they're the better team, even with Debo banged up. I still I love the options they got there with Brock Purdy, and like Brock, I know we criticized him last week was not a good performance. And again, if he messes up, Detroit will make him pay. Like Brian Branch, hell of a safety. They C.J. Gardner Johnson, great cornerback out there. They got options in the de- defensive backfield. That will make you pay if you make a mistake. But I think Brock will be cool, calm, and collected this year. And he also has a chip on his shoulder. Like, last year he was in this game, and they were on the road, be it, and he got injured. And he knows that, hey, I'm back here. We're at home. I'm not going to get injured. Like, I'm going to do everything I can to stay in this game. And he's going to want to – again, that's going to be in the back of his mind. You're not playing enough to get injured, I know. But he's also going to want to go out there and prove it, that last year was not a fluke. And that he can be the guy going forward in San Francisco. So, I got the 49ers in this game. Dalton, I'll go to you next. Your thoughts on the NFC Championship game and who do you have winning it? Yes. Um, first of all, I'm going to take San Francisco. And I know, oh my gosh, hell froze over. Dalton picked San Francisco to win a football game, to win in the NFC Championship game, mind you. I know, I know. I've come around. I've come around. Okay, don't get used to it. Uh, I, I do think this. there's a little caveat, though. Um, this game, and I'm kind of going to do the same thing I, that I did with Chiefs-Ravens, so I guess hold on tight, buckle in, whatever you got to do. Um, this isn't exactly a fun roller coaster, but we're going to do it anyway. Um, okay, so again, let's kind of do the same thing like that we did for this, this, this other game, Chiefs-Ravens. So the quarterback, uh, I think for this year, you know, have, who's having the better season? You got to go with San Francisco. San Francisco, right? When Brock Purdy at one point was an MVP candidate. Um, of course, we all know that that's not going to happen, or nor was that holding up. So, head coach, uh, 
49ers. I think far and away, far and away. Uh, well, not far and away, but I think most people would pick Kyle Shanahan over Dan Campbell. Uh, the running back, running back. That's you could say that's a wash. I mean, if we're combining Jameer Gibbs and David Montgomery, I mean that's like. 8,000 yards, 20 touchdowns. Uh, just kidding. That's like a lot of yards and a lot of touchdowns. Uh, but I think, you know, Christian McCaffrey has held up his own this year, being the main the main back. Tight end wide receiver, again, could be a wash. Uh, Debo's still going to play, but, you know, again, I feel like those, it's, it's kind of a wash. If you had to lean one way, I would go maybe San Francisco. Um, but I feel like you can go either way there. The offensive line of oh, the Lions, dude. The Lions have been playing. Their offensive line has been great all year. We knew that. Defensive line, I think you've got to go with San Francisco. Um, and a close one. Linebackers, close one, but I would go with San Francisco. You have all pro and Fred Warner, Drake Greenlaw. Secondary, I think I would. Uh, it's kind of close. Uh, Javarius uh, Ward playing really well last year, but I do think that Ambry Thomas is a little bit of a, a uh, uh, liability in terms of his coverage skills. Uh, if you look last week, he had a couple penalties that were pass interference. Um, I think that Detroit will probably target him this week and try to stay away from Ward. And the kicking, you know, I think you've got to go with uh, the lines. Moody can be a little bit moody in terms of his consistency, happy or sad in terms of him making field goals. That being said, Cleet Blakeman has got the game this week. Um, Detroit is 1-4 with Blakeman. With the lone win coming at week eight against the Raiders this season on Monday Night Football. All right, it's worth the note that the crew calls more penalties on that on the team that would go on to win the contest. So I fully expect the 49ers to get more penalties this weekend and still win the game. Uh, regardless, if we take out the refereeing statistic that I just gave you, I'm still going to pick the 49ers. I think Detroit has had a great season. But I do think that it comes to an end, unfortunately because um, I did have them making the Super Bowl preseason. But after further investigation and further thought into this game, I am going to take the San Francisco 49ers to advance to their second, uh, well, first Super Bowl since 2019, if I'm not mistaken, um, in which, coincidentally, I mean, they played the Chiefs. So, you know, if the Chiefs win this weekend, whoop-de-daisy, we've got a – We've got a good one, uh, but let's hope that doesn't happen. All right, Christian, what's your thoughts on the NFC title game this year? Um, you know, I'm thinking that this game is um, – it's kind of fun. You know, I like this storyline because it's either the Detroit Lions who haven't even won a playoff game since the 30s, nonetheless make it to the Super Bowl ever, and San Francisco who – yeah, they're, you know, the golden child, you know, five uh, Super Bowls. They're not needing of one. But the first one of it being Mr. Irrelevant being the quarterback, that is one hell of a story. So it's absolutely going to be a fun uh, matchup between San Francisco and Detroit. And 
I think San Francisco has better everything than Detroit. Honestly, coach, quarterback, you know, offense, defense, special teams. And, you know, I, I like Detroit. I really do. And I think Detroit is more of America's team. You know, I think it's more America's team than the uh, Dallas Cowboys because people want them to win. Um, if they win, am I going to be upset that, you know, San Francisco fails me again? No, not at all. But at the end of the day, I do think that San Francisco does win this game. And it's and Detroit, you know, deserves every bit of credit. And I think next year, you know, they're going to be a real contender to get into the NFC uh, championship again. Again, with, you know, high risers of, you know, maybe the Dallas Cowboys, maybe uh, Green Bay can come back, right? You know, who's going to win the NFC South next year? San Francisco, maybe the Rams kind of return. So, you know, Detroit is going to be here for a little bit. I do expect that. But I expect San Francisco to make it back to the Super Bowl with Mr. Relevant at QB. All right. So we're both predicting a uh, – all three of us, excuse me, predicting a Ravens 49ers. Again, it's a rematch from 11 years ago, sure. But nonetheless, that is the one seeds. Uh, I know, again, we're all going basically chalk with this game. But we'll see. It's, it should be a very exciting uh, super, or a conference championship Sunday, we'll be back next week with our thoughts on not really going to preview the Super Bowl next week, but we'll recap the conference championship game next week uh, for sure. Because, you know, the two-week break, we want to save all the storylines for that um, for the following week. we got to have some content to have out there. But I do want to give a quick shout before wrapping this up to our, again, we use a lot on this on this podcast, but our guy Ryan O'Neill does a great job with Ryan's happy hour. I had the chance to go on this past week with our guy, Jake Smith. Um, he usually goes on and does a lot of Star Wars recaps with Ryan. If you want to go and listen to some of those previous episodes if you're a fan of Star Wars and whatnot. But this week, we just kind of talked about just kind of like these weird, like with Jake, Ryan, and I, these kind of close calls of meeting each other uh, before we actually finally met each other. Because uh, we were like, you know, right place, wrong time with a lot of situations and also just catching up with friends. Um, as always great podcast he does out there. So definitely stick around and uh, go listen to that. Cause he's got a lot in store for this year that he's wants to get. And he's, you know, good friend of ours. So also whatever podcasting platform you are listening to this, if you're not already doing so, please subscribe to us, follow us, whatever feedback, always encouraged and uh, feel free to share with friends and family as always. I'm Spencer Brown, Dalton Bishop, and I'm Christian Ernst. So again, thanks for listening. Enjoy the rest of your day.